You better be listening to Sleezoids or I must break you. Good morning. This is your wake call. The year is 2021. It is no longer safe to transmit information. Phones, computers, and satellites are all vulnerable. Cryogenically preserved. Okay, guys. Memory clearance. Genetically enhanced. How's the picture? Pretty ugly. Very funny, very funny. GR44, do you read me? At the end of the mission, he became completely unresponsive. Inside the machine is a man. Do you really think the Pentagon would allow the regeneration of dead soldiers? Stop the girl. Shoot if you have to. I can carry nearly 80 gigs of data in my head. I had to dump a chunk of long-term memory. You had to dump a chunk of what? My childhood. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Sleezoids, the podcast where we go down the rabbit hole of 20th century genre fare from the most influential canon classics to the trashiest exploitation films we can get our hands on and invite you to tag along in helping us create a canon of sleaze. Each week is a double feature grindhouse style where we discuss two films loosely related by subject, genre, actor, filmmaker, or franchise. And at the end of each episode, along with our honorary Sleezoids, which you can become by subscribing on Patreon, John Wu and Dolph Lundgren, baby, teaming up. Join the sleaze. <laughs> We decide on all the official ratings and rankings for every film that we cover. Patreon subscribers also get an on-air shout-out and two bonus episodes every single month, which we have been doing for over three years. There's yeah. something like 70-plus uh, bonus episodes, maybe even coming up on 80 now, uh, waiting for you, as well as our bonus transmission series where we talk about new release genre movies, which it looks like they're going to start coming out again. That's exciting. Which is nice. So, uh, again, patreon.com slash podcast if you want uh, any of those episodes. And speaking of which, we do ha- we did have some people make the jump. Uh, this week we have uh, Joseph, uh, Drew Mascarelli, uh, B, Dylan, Anton, Person, Flaguerre. Brutal. You guys got to take it easy on me uh, <laughs> with some of these names. Uh, we have uh, coming in at the ten dollar uh, a month. We have Ben, who's going to be joining us for the uh, virtual uh, screening that we do. We're going to be doing, uh, nice. you know, usually once a month. We do one for the ten dollar patrons where we watch a movie live with them. And uh, this month, because it's Dolph Month, you know, we're going to be doing Dolph. So Ben's oh, going to yeah. be joining us for the. I think on uh, the twenty fourth of June. I think we're going to be talking. We're going to be watching uh, Joshua Tree with you guys, which is a movie where Dolph Lundgren. Uh, he's a former race car driver turned uh, exotic supercar hustler who gets framed for murder. <laughs> it's <laughs> a very awesome. absurd premise, and it's a lot of fun. So that's what we're going to be watching with you guys on the 24th. Thanks for Ben for for doing that. And uh, also, uh, we're not even done there. We've also got Anthony Hera, and last but not least, Dan Stalkup. So thanks so much to uh, all of you guys for yeah. uh, signing up. Uh, this week. Hope you guys are enjoying all those bonus episodes. Uh, that's the one plug for the week. The other plug is, uh, as always, Apple Podcasts. If you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, please scroll down to the very bottom uh, right now and give us a good old rating and review uh, down there. I know you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts. I see the stats. And uh, it helps us uh, climb the ranks of our iTunes when every time you guys do that. Yes, please. Um, that's the other plug. And the last plug, as always, is, uh, is merch. If you guys uh, like the poster art that uh, local horror artist Trevor Henderson did for the show. I like that we get to shout out Trevor Henderson on every episode of the yeah, show now. He deserves sure he it. He appreciates that. Uh, he's a great artist, and uh, he did awesome art for us, and he listened <laughs> through uh, every uh, annoying little redraft that I sent him, being like, can you, can you touch that? Can you fix that? <laughs> 
Uh, and uh, the art can now be put on anything you want. A sweatshirt, a t-shirt, a pillow, a mug, a notebook, whatever you can think of, you can probably get the uh, Sleezoids art on. That link can be found in the description or at sleezoidspodcast.com for those interested. But, whew, yep, that's it. That's the intro. We did uh, it. Welcome back. Uh, as always, I am your host, uh, Josh Lewis, and joining me also, as always, is my co-host. Jamie Miller. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back to uh, the the third week, officially, of yeah. Dolph Month, where we have been celebrating all things uh, Dolph Lundgren. We've been exclusively talking about movies he's been in. We've been going chronologically, starting with his first films like Rocky IV and uh, He-Man Masters of the Universe and Punisher. And, uh, you know, we're, we're now entering kind of like the, the early 90s to mid-90s uh, you know, kind of action trash that, that he was doing that, you know, a lot of it is, uh, you know, better than its reputation. And that was partially yeah. why we wanted to do Dolph month entirely is, you know, you mentioned Dolph Lundgren to a lot of people and you kind of get this, you know, opinion of him that he's just some, you know, if you can't afford Arnold Schwarzenegger, you can't afford Sylvester Stallone, he's who you went to. And I think that, that reputation of him does a big disservice to both him as a performer and a lot of the the, the films that that he was in. So we're very yeah. excited this week to have a returning guest calling in from the Pod About List show. He's been on once before talking uh, great horror comedies with us. I believe we were talking about Killer Clowns from Outer Space and Brain Damage, which was the double feature he selected for us last time. We have joining us Cameron. Cameron, how you doing? Pretty good. Thanks for having me back on. I'm excited. No, I mean, well, it was it was an absolute necessity to have you back on because uh, as I was talking to you kind of before we started here, uh, you know, I, I was looking for people to talk about these films with us and uh, I couldn't find any of my mutuals who had both of these movies, you know, on their letterbox rated higher than like, you know, like a two and a half or like a three. You know, there were some who liked one or liked the other one or, you know, that kind of deal. But there was no one who liked both of these movies. It's and I very was like, surprising that, to me. They seem they seem like they go very hand in hand. Like I, yeah, I, yeah it seems like it would be hard to like one and, and not like another. But you know, when you told me that originally, I I looked on Letterbox too, and I I saw the same thing, and I was very confused <laughs> by that. <laughs> yeah, so I was I was very you know I was like, damn, Cameron is our guy for these picks, and I think that this pairing, you know, ultimately we were going through a lot of Dolph stuff uh, just chronologically. Uh, as is like I think two weeks ago would have been you know the the first official episode of the month we had special guest Ethan Vespi on we talked about his first leading roles we talked about He-Man Masters of the Universe from 1987 which is you know kind of an unfortunate one for him because you know he himself you know didn't really know what he was doing and um, doesn't seem like the direction was very helpful either yeah, and, and, and friend of Brian Singer's uh, pedophile ring uh, <laughs> parody, parody, uh, Gary Goddard, um, <laughs> who directed that film, didn't really direct him to do very much either. Like, in, oh. even in retrospect, he's done interviews about it. He was just like, yeah, I was kind of just there to look like the toy. And I kind of felt silly and embarrassed and no one really told me to do anything otherwise. So uh, kind of not a great... Um, you know, start, but an important part in, you know, what would be Dolph Lundgren's eventual career, because also, you know, he would get cast as the lead in The Punisher, another sort of geek property that they wanted to turn into, you know, a, um, 
you know, a, a modern genre picture in the way that they exist at the time. And that one was much more successful, directed by Mark Goldblatt, uh, the guy who directed Dead Heat and, you know, known for editing some of the best action movies of the 80s. The dude edited yeah. Commando and Terminator. Um, and so, you know, much more effective, uh, for Dolph there where he got to play kind of like, he's still stiff, but he got to play kind of like this angry killing machine. So that kind of performance suited that. And then, uh, last week for the bonus listeners exclusively, we kind of shifted over into Dolph trying to expand outside of that stiffness as an actor. He, he did Dark Angel with Craig R. Baxley, who directed Stone Cold and Showdown in Little Tokyo with Mark L. Lester, who was the director of Commando. And both films were him trying to be kind of like in the genre bending buddy comedies. Dark Angel has him fighting off a alien from space who shoots um, CDs <laughs> out of his arm and slits people's throats with them. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty and, wild. uh, Showdown in Little Tokyo has Dolph Lundgren, uh, the last Japanese man on Earth, uh, <laughs> taking down the Yakuza in Little Tokyo. And there literally is a showdown, uh, you know, where he's in, you know, full. He's got the headband. He's got the Japanese garb. He's got a katana. He's in the middle of a, you know, wet neon American city street. And he's, you know, having a big old showdown. So yeah. everything uh, I learned you know, about the Japanese culture, I learned from Dolph Lundgren. So thank you. Dolph, I really appreciate it. Yeah, well, and it was it was also fun watching him do a buddy cop uh, movie just with Brandon Lee. Yeah, uh, R.I.P. Yeah. It would have been nice to see Brandon Lee in in more films and watching him and Dolph. You know, they get to do some pretty athletic action. Um, both of them in that film, even though Brandon Lee, you know, he's a little little bit more, a, a lot more flips going on. Yeah, from Brandon, a little more agile. Dolph's a little too, little too big for that kind of stuff. But <laughs> uh, either way, fun to watch him expand to buddy cop and do kind of comedy and romance and a bunch of other things. So uh, we've been tracing his career chronologically up to this point. And the reason I'm describing this. So again, that episode, bonus listeners, sleazoidspodcast.com. That was last week's episode. But the reason I'm going through this is because we are now at a different phase of London's career. Every episode I plotted out here, it was <laughs> like we are at a different stage in, in, in the Dolph Man. And in here, we got to see him do sci-fi actioners where he gets to play the villain and he yeah. gets to, you know, go back to kind of what he was doing a little bit in Rocky four, where he got started as the antagonist and he has a very commanding physical presence in that film. But here he got to expand his acting chops and do two very different kinds of villain roles here where universal soldier directed by Roland Emmerich from 1992 is the one we're going to be talking about where he gets to do a, a go back a little bit to that killing machine aspect where, you know, he's a Vietnam soldier who's been reanimated in the future to be a super soldier. So you get a little bit of that, but the soldier he was prior to being reanimated was an absolute maniacal freak, racist, uh, murderous monster. And Dolph really gets to choose some of the scenes when he gets to get back into that mode. Jamie, I think, uh, mentioned that it reminded him a little bit of uh, apocalypse now. <laughs> yeah. He gets to go apocalypse now mode a little bit. He goes Brando <laughs> mode for a little bit. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Uh, and then we're going to be pairing that, obviously, with uh, Johnny Mnemonic from 1995, directed by Robert Longo and obviously written by the father of uh, cyberpunk, William Gibson. And in that film, Dolph is, uh, you know, he's, he's not a huge presence in the film, but... Uh, I don't know what copy of the film you watched, Karen, but I watched the Japanese cut, which has more Kitano and Dolph in it. And uh, oh, he, I didn't know he, that he, existed. Yeah, you can only find it, unfortunately, on DVD. 
but there there is some so I, I watched kind of like a subpar quality version of the film yeah but it was interesting because basically the only stuff that they cut was more stuff with Kitano and um you know few second splices here and there of violence a lot of which is Dolph yeah. like you know tearing you know really stabbing people and watching him twist the knife around and stuff like that and I, just go a little bit more psychotic and have a couple more lines I ended up watching both uh, versions one of them the Japanese version I end up Kind, kind of skipping through just to see what the, the main differences were. But what I could uh, tell, and we'll go into more detail, is is it seemed like they just wanted to get rid of a lot of the Japanese dialogue so that they could, you know, I think more easily advertise it to Americans because a lot of it that they cut out is just like the uh, parts where Keanu speaks Japanese to get a certain... Um, uh, upgrade that you don't really see in the yeah. uh, in the uh, American version, and then there's a ton of katano that's been cut from the American version. He's basically yeah, like which, not which, there. So yeah, but when, when when I find found that out, I thought that that was fucking crazy because the whole it's, emotional core of the eventual decisions made yes. in the climax of the film are completely hinged on the katano character in yeah. the Japanese cut of the film. So I so I've only seen the Japanese sure. cut. So you guys, Cameron, you'll be able to walk me through some of the differences in the theatrical cut. So if there's anything that I describe they're like hey what the fuck where did that come from it's probably because we watched two different copies of the film but I will say largely it's really only like six or seven minutes of extra content yeah, um, yeah. that's been added so the the broad strokes I'm sure will a lot of it be the same and um yeah, I mean, this film is kind of notorious in a lot of circles because I think a lot of people, you know, think that it's, you know, kind of absurd and silly. I think a lot of people treat it in the same way, way that they treat kind of like mystery uh, science theater 3000 or whatever it is that they 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 kind of like uh, think it's so bad it's good for some people in a way. And I right, was, you know, right. watching this for the first time, I was kind of like, damn, I thought that that was just kind of pretty solid. There's definitely some goofiness and some absurdity, but we'll get into the specifics of that and you know, uh, some some of it I think is just intrinsic to the genre, and some of it I think right. uh, works better than people think it does. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, but yeah, we'll we'll get into all of the specifics as we break down these two films. But I think uh, that being said, we're going to jump into it here. We are going to start off with Universal Soldier. This mission has been canceled. I'm giving the orders from now on. I'm going to teach them all. Ultimate weapons of the future have declared war on each other. Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren, Universal Soldier. Stop, that is an order. All right, we are talking Universal Soldier, the 1992 American uh, science fiction action film directed by... Uh, Roland Emmerich, who is a name that I don't think we've talked about Emmerich yet on the show. No. And um, he has has had an interesting career of ever since basically like this movie and like Stargate, which I think is like pretty good. He Ever since then, he's been chasing kind of like the PG blockbuster movie. Yeah. That's kind of what he's 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 been chasing that dragon and uh, to some success, to some not success. Like, I, I don't think Independence Day is a terrible film. I don't think yeah, Godzilla is very good. No, I don't. I, hate, I, I, I honestly yeah. hate I will, that one. <laughs> yeah, I will never forgive him for that Godzilla. I think <laughs> I honestly think that Godzilla is the only other film of his that I've seen 
and like that there's a good reason for that <laughs> so i watched that godzilla and i was like yeah no not doing this guy <laughs> yeah but I, it, 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 it made me wonder like where where is this version of roland emmerich like what why is he not like a 90s action programmer guy yeah who does like r and again also like r-rated like this is like a like a violent film and i think yeah. it's, it's done well and He's clearly good also uh, this is, you know, I, I didn't realize originally when I was putting Dolph month this month that it was also pride month. So this is, this is Sleezoid's, uh, pride. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about, uh, Roland Emmerich shooting the hell out of Jean-Claude Van Damme's ass. <laughs> no one since has filmed it as lovingly. And, uh, so thank you, Roland. <laughs> but that being said, for anyone who hasn't seen Universal Soldier, the very loose premise of this is that, um, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren, they both play uh, Vietnam soldiers who, in kind of like the the heat of a psychotic breakdown that Dolph Lundgren's character, Andrew Scott, uh, goes through. And he basically, as Jamie mentioned, gets to go apocalypse mad psycho mode. He he starts just killing uh, civilians, uh, collecting their like, ears, <laughs> collecting their ears and making them out of a necklace. Yeah. Um, and he loves and to make puns about the ears too. That's the, that's he the, likes the, to the talk into them. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, they wouldn't listen. And he just like yeah. throws the ears in their face. And I think yeah, he even he, says I'm all ears at one point. I'm pretty sure. Yes, he does. <laughs> exactly <laughs> what he says. And he, while literally like holding it up to the frame, just in case yeah. you missed what he was referencing. <laughs> But yeah, he he essentially goes crazy in Vietnam, and I like this opening that it's all shot in like, like it it really is just like chaos. It's like rain and fire and mud and corpses everywhere. Van Damme's entire platoon, as we open, is basically either dead or hysterical, like claiming that the Sarge has you know gone psycho and killed everyone, including his own men, and you know again collecting their ears for like a dog tag necklace and screaming about traitors and how people all the other soldiers just want to go home and pretend like this never happened but it happened and it mattered and it's basically like a like a meat-headed action rendition of like brian de palma's casualties of war which i don't know if you've seen cameron <laughs> yeah <laughs> i have not it's a it's it's a Sean Penn and Michael J. Fox in in Vietnam and Sean Penn starts like leading the entire platoon to basically j- just go psychotic and say we should just start raping civilians. And it's based on like a true story. And then Michael J. Fox character eventually has to go to like military court to, you know, rat them out and stuff like that. But it, it, it's very similar to that kind of sense of hysteria, yeah. but done through, again, this sort of like meatheaded action version where it's all like, you know, the sadistic mindset of these men turned into to killing machines but you know instead of sean penn you know doing this you know this very real um you know sexual violence that took place and de palma using that as a larger metaphor for what america does to other countries here it you know the result is Dolph lundgren like throws a grenade at a civilian and it like blows her arm off i also like that the conversation and like something like casualties of war you know they're it's it's based on the drama they're they're having a lot of discussions about the philosophy of what's going on philosophical whereas this is like well we're just gonna settle it with kicks punches and guns baby that's all we need yeah (laughs) exactly this is much more like oh you've seen predator right like that's like that's what it feels like to (laughs) me yeah definitely Definitely. Well, and, and in this opening scene, like Van Damme is playing more kind of like the the innocent puppy dog soldier who, you know, has had his innocence ruined and wants to leave. And he confronted with, you know, the Sarge going crazy. You know, he tries to stop him and it turns into, you know, like uh, Dolph like shoots Van Damme's thigh out and chunks go everywhere. And I was yeah. like, not oh, the man's man. thighs. Yeah. They're so big. <laughs> <laughs> Secret <laughs> weapon, man. 
I yeah, do love that those. they just rip each other apart, like with the guns at the end, killing each other. Oh just yeah, bat- dude. it's yeah. kind of like uh, it reminded me of uh, Dead Heat, just with the Dead Heat without, thing. Yeah, they don't. <laughs> eventually, they die instead of just zombies destroying each other's bodies. It yeah, is, that's it's such a great, such a great like opening and introduction. Like it's so yeah, it's so sweaty and just disgusting. Like that mm-hmm. that leg shot squib is like such a great <laughs> just like first shot. Just like it just squirts everywhere, and then they like I think like 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 Van Damme like stabs Dolph with a bayonet and like twists yes. it around. Yeah, and there's, yeah. yeah it's oh, just it's so it's just nasty and like yeah. Oh, it's such a it like just right off the bat. You're like oh yeah okay these are the guys I get it I'm in. And this is also <laughs> like prior. This is when Dolph's character was trying to force JCVD to to kill innocents, right? Because that's where he gets unlocked later on in like the next fifteen minutes. Because he's once again being forced to kill innocents, and that's what kind of shoots off in his brain. Like this is wrong. We need to do something else. Yeah. No. Yeah. It's just he, the the innocent screaming of the civilians is what triggers. Um, him okay. to get his flashback back in the opening scene because i don't think he's asked to kill anyone in that uh, I thought, opening scene in the present day oh okay okay i, I thought you meant uh, but 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 the the the, 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 the screaming definitely uh tr- triggers him um there one i like too that after he guts dolph lundgren and they both just shoot each other completely dead which by the way is actually kind of a surprising opening to a film where the two movie stars confront each other <laughs> And, you know, literally just kill each other in the opening scene. And uh, in an amazing touch, the uh, their credits pop up yeah. as each actor is being zipped into the body bags, which I yeah. thought was sick. So good. Yeah, yeah that was a great. And detail. with that, yeah, that like that, like industrial music playing, too, that doesn't really come <laughs> yes. back like this super like like horror movie, like like clanging theme. Mm-hmm. It's a, like great credits. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I love love loved that uh and then it's obviously cut to present day in the film 1992 so it's nevada in 1992 where uh the military has basically flown in like a truck of super soldiers into deal with a terrorist situation at the hoover dam where they're brutally executing these hostages and you know like a reporter pulls up to the scene to report on this and she becomes kind of like a a, a central character played by Ali Walker Veronica Roberts is the character name I wrote down there um and she gets introduced like arriving late to the recording in like sneakers and like with a cigarette in her mouth and everything like that because you know she's uh she's a cool reporter yeah she doesn't play by the rules but always gets the story you can tell that she's a cool reporter because she wears a jacket that says New York on the back for the entire yes. movie. That's <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> definitely, definitely. And I, I like, too, that uh, Emmerich definitely leans into all of this stuff just being very leanly handled. You know, yeah. like there, there's like squ- there's like squibs and headshots of the guards and stuff like that. But he he in this opening set piece, especially he wants to lean into the fact that these super soldiers, you know, they are on the ground foot soldiers that are being controlled by this, you know, this, uh, this larger brain command. And I love too, that that's depicted as like this big airplane that is carrying a truck that looks like a transformers truck almost. And it like opens up with like steam where they're keeping the cryogenic soldiers inside (laughs) and then they operate them from like inside. And you just get to see Dolph and Van Damme just like, you know, rappel down literally Hoover Dam 
and yeah, start like you know in perfect unison taking down guards and stuff like that. I love the way that Roland uh, shoots the dam too. He just he he captures the scale of it really well. Like that the wide shot of them going down, and then there's this awesome one where I think it it might be both of them or just Dolph uh, going into the entrance into the dam, and it follows him into the tunnel and all that. Oh, yeah, it follows it's, dam. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. And I also like that they use uh, silenced pistols to snipe the guys that are like a hundred feet away. <laughs> like they're so super soldier. <laughs> that they can do it with just a pistol. thought that was an interesting little thing, too. Very skilled. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's a nice little set piece, and I think it, it's elevated by the fact that they actually shot at the Hoover Dam. Yeah, like it's oh, yeah. It's really great mm-hmm. location work, and there's, like, awesome low-angle shots of Dolph where you can just see the entire dam taking up the entire frame in the background of him yeah. and, and stuff like that. Uh, but they also want to set up that these guys are super soldiers. They can really take the hits. And there's a third guy among them who, like, breaks in to go and get the hostages, and he just gets, like, lit up by gunfire, just blood squibs going everywhere (laughs) and stuff like that. And uh, Dolph and Van Damme appear, and right when they do, they signal the guy, he gets up, and all three of them all take, like, these gory headshots at, you know, all of the various terrorists. And they they very cleanly save all the screaming hostages – um, and you know, they did it with no casualties or in- injuries. And this is the, the future of warfare, these unisol universal soldier soldiers and doing these missions that they're, they're doing. And it is kind of unsettling too, to see that, you know, Van Damme and Dolph, who in the opening scene are, you know, trying very hard to be emotive, you know, even yeah. though ne- not necessarily the actors, uh, are the most emotive actors on the planet, but you know, they're trying and in this scene, they're obviously playing, you know, more robotic kind of killing machine style characters and uh, interesting uh, watching them like the reveal that they like even just work together. That it's like Van <laughs> yeah, Damme yeah. coming up with like in his tactical suit with his little eyepiece and his microphone <laughs> and then just Dolph in line right behind him, ready to go and watching them work in perfect unison. But oh. even then they are remarking that like Van Damme, you know, he the, the screaming is activating his flashbacks and his memories and he's, you know, he's getting that sensitive part of himself back. And not only do they emphasize that, they also emphasize that the Dolph character, even though he's being commanded you know, he's getting a little a little crazy about the killing, you know. He seems to really like the killing that they do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what I love about about this opening too, about the, you know, this this crazy jungle scene right into this hostage situation is that it kind of uses the fact that it's a little bit of like a knockoff. I mean, more than a little bit of a knockoff, I guess, <laughs> to like to work to its, its advantage. Where like I feel like a movie that was maybe a little more insecure about you know ripping off Terminator or RoboCop or whatever <laughs> right, might have a right. scene <laughs> in between the two where they would have to like explain like oh we're reanimating the soldiers, we're controlling them. But this has kind of liberty to just like have this like crazy bloody thing and then just jump right into like a tactical situation and it never really wastes all that much time on like you know figuring out what the mechanics of these like you know unisols are you can just kind of like you're like okay i get it it's a robocop like i'm good you know and even exactly. before they do the, the 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 more dramatic sequences between like the scientists and the military guys going like you know we can't uh, it, it's immoral to do certain things and all that they do have in the dam sequence one of the soldiers that isn't uh, Van Dam or Dolph um, just used as a sacrifice so it is interesting that like you know they show that the military is willing to just take 
you know, use these human bodies. And regardless, like now that they view them as cyborgs, they can just be like, well, just, you know, distract them with this soldier, kill him. And then the other two can do the rest of the job. There's no, there's like no humanity to it anymore because they just view them Mm -hmm. as robots. Although I, I, I I did like that beat reveal that the guy couldn't be killed just by the bullets. So he Mm. actually sits up and also shoots at the same time. Right. Yeah. They, they, they they use it as like the staged thing to be like, yeah, they got him, give them some relief and then no. But then that's the guy that they later put inside like the ice cube dumpster to like heal from his (laughs) wounds because those wounds (laughs) should be like mortally wounding, you know, kind of, uh, things to his body. But you know, they're just like, well, if we put him in ice, you know, he'll just heal up, you know? (laughs) it's all it's all it's all all good but but i I do like cameron some good scenes with like jean-claude van damme just in a wide shot in a bathtub full of ice and stuff like that (laughs) yes it's good yeah yeah but i i do like your point cameron that like this movie very blatantly and at the time it was what it got criticized for like very blatantly it it steals and waters down the basic idea of the dehumanizing militarization of you know these characters as a basis for you know this sort of like genre machinery style film it's very very similar to what they would do in something like robocop it's very similar to what they would do also in t2 i think at the time that this came out i tried to find reviews at the time of what people didn't like about it and i think it was like roger ebert said that it was like so very obviously derivative of terminator 2 and that just really put a sour taste in his mouth in that way and the thing that I would say just back to that is that it's, you know, it's so unpretentious about doing that. Yeah. Yeah. That absolutely that I, I it really it really doesn't like matter to me at all. Like the, the, the fact that, you know, there will get into some of the specifics of it that there, you know, there are, you know, real ideas in this movie at a certain point. But the movie honestly doesn't care about them uh, beyond, you know, how they make you know, uh, Dolphin Van Dam as naked and sweaty <laughs> and uh, yeah. entertainingly violent as they can possibly be as two performers. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on some level, on on this show at least, we have to, you know, uh, we appreciate, appreciate that. that. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, it's a it's a good knockoff because of just how stripped down it is. You know, it's yeah, it's, it's exactly. not trying to it's not trying to it's not even trying to be like a worse version of it. It's just like, oh, yeah, we also like that idea. So we're going to make one, too. Like, it's very. <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's nice. It's pure. And then it leads into some like there, there there's some some comedic beats that I kind of liked. Like uh, it's straight from Terminator, but um, Jean Claude Van Damme's like on, he doesn't have any self awareness of nudity or anything like that. So he goes out <laughs> in the motel parking lot completely butt naked and uh, and even has a part where he's like kind of injured and lying very vulnerable naked in the girl's arms, which I found just, it's, it's quite an image to see Van Damme like that. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, the the basic premise steals a lot from T2 and that he's teamed up obviously with this, this human and they're both on the run from like someone else, like the greater villain, the villain who's more, you know, it's the good Terminator versus the bad Terminator in T2. It's literally the exact same. Yeah. Um, there's also premise, stuff where, where he's like sitting on the waterbed and like, oh, I don't know what this is and, you know, things like yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, and I got to give credit to Van Damme. I thought Van Damme very strategically underplayed a lot of that stuff. You know, it's yeah. not like Van Damme gets on the waterbed and he immediately goes, whoa, what the <laughs> hell is this? It's, yeah. it's like he sits down and there's a very subtle widening of his eyes. Like he right. didn't, he expected yeah. to sit on something solid. Yeah, and that's might it. Be, it might be like the perfect acting role for Van Damme I feel like is like you just have to act a tiny bit and it will like that's exactly what we need you know what I mean (laughs) yeah yeah Yeah, definitely 
Yeah, and I and I really, I mean, I, is this our first time talking about Van Damme? No, we did Cyborg. Yeah, we did Albert Cyborg. Cam. Yeah. Okay, but I, I, I really enjoy um, the the setup that they do here, where Van Dam is kind of like you know he's the you know he he's also in you know that that super soldier mode where they you know they're they're putting the serum in them that's erasing their minds and everything like that. But you know the, because of the the traumatic experience of their last memories, for some reason they kind of, I think the scientist guy comes in and explains that that's why they're uh, you know that those memories live strong in their minds than any of their other memories and that's why he keeps you know thinking of it when the reporter like tries to like break in and take photos of the super soldiers and yeah. Dolph Lundgren gets sent out to take care of it and he literally just brutally executes the her cameraman yeah. like point blank yeah. that's such a brutal moment yeah that, that part's so awesome I mean yeah that's I think where where this where Universal Soldier shines the most is it's just like it's so gratuitously just like gross. It's, it's cruel. Yeah. Yeah. Very cruel. Which you don't it's really a get of, a lot from the other. I mean, the, you know, there are deaths that are, are, you know, show a real visceral cruelty, but, but there's something about just these soldiers putting these, these news reporters on their knees and then just point blank shooting them in the head. Yeah. There's just such a coldness to that, that I think yeah. you don't see there's a lot also, in these action movies. Yeah, I mean, it's, there's also, there's not very much good guy violence. Like, like Van Damme spends most of the movie, like, running away from people. Yeah. You know, there isn't, there isn't a scene where he just, like, shoots a bunch of bad guys. Like, um, pretty much most of, the, most of the people getting shot in this movie are, like, innocent people or, like, mi- like military guys who are, you know, controlling the Universal Soldiers or whatever. Right. I mean, maybe I'm misremembering that, but if I remember correctly, it's like, yeah, it's mostly just, like, just nasty stuff. Well, yeah, and, and I, I like, too, because Cameron's right, I think, that it's either a lot of, like, innocent people die, or it's, like, you know, the, the kind of scientist underlings, like, not the yeah. actual yeah. military or you know, You know, actually, what the highest body count is. I think it's actually cops, now that I think about it. A ton of cops start to die in the second half of this movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. Now, <laughs> yeah that's, that's true, because Dolph ends up turning against everyone, because there's this sort of, th- this line that they cross where, essentially, you know, they're using Dolph to hunt down Van Damme, who, you know, because of the situation with the cameraman and and the screaming reporter he his instincts to you know that that to protect innocence in his mind you know just kind of comes back in so he he leaves with the reporter and he takes her you know to the motel where they're going to hide out and they're on the run and she sees him as a story that they're going to expose this whole you know thing about you know reanimated soldiers and corruption and the one military guy's like freaking out he's like do you really think the wimps at the pentagon would let us reanimate u.s soldiers (laughs) i I love that line yeah i wrote that line down too that's the best (laughs) yeah it's it's so good but what they what they didn't really anticipate is that you know not only is van damme waking up dolph is also waking up and by you know sending him to just viciously go and kill people they are reactivating his instinct to be a psychotic murderer (laughs) at the same time uh which is something they don't really anticipate and i think that that's such an important element of it because ultimately you know if there's any sort of larger idea that this film gets into, you know, by by happenstance, it's that, you know, these soldiers, it, it's kind of a Rambo idea that it's kind of stealing it from, which is that they're bringing this stuff home. 
Yeah. Um, you, 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 you get to see this horrifying violence that was reserved for, you know, the opening scene that took place in Nam and has taken place in so many Vietnam War movies that you've seen. But it's like now what if those guys are operating with the same sense of ruthless uh, visceral cruelty, but they're doing it at like a local diner filled with townies or yeah. they're doing it at a grocery store. Um, yeah, which has like one of the that, craziest scenes in the movie. <laughs> yeah, the grocery store scene is incredible. That's my favorite scene too. That it's the best. Um, but something that, that that that's jumped out to me too about about you know it is like about kind of like restaging this crazy gory Vietnam conflict in in the U.S. is that almost every like uh, like s- random character, random like like American character that has lines is like an asshole. Like they all just <laughs> suck. Like it's very. It's like. It's they're 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 saying like oh like you know they're bringing this 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 carnage home but it's also like uh, this place is also kind of awful just in general as well like every place they have they go to the motel it's like the shitty motel and they have the like the pervy like motel worker (laughs) who's trying to upsell them and they go where do they go they go to like the gas station the guy is like listening at the door to the bathroom while they're in there you know there's just. There's so many, like pretty much every character they interact with the, the waitress at the diners is just like, is really bitchy for no reason at at first. Like it's very, it's very, it's just an interesting twist on that. Like, you know, like I would expect something that's, that's leaning more into like the exploitation of like, imagine this, this crazy war violence, like right here in your backyard. I would, I would imagine more like more every man people in it than Mm. like these like gum smacking, just like annoying people. It's very, (laughs) it's an interesting choice. Yeah, uh, speaking Definitely. on that gas station scene too. Uh, I love the 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 shot of JCVD's just giant fucking thighs with the girl in between his legs, yes. lo- looking yeah. for the tracker or whatever. <laughs> and and at first, like the first time you see the shot, you're like, oh, that's just that's a really funny shot. Um, but then he keeps cutting back to it and and <laughs> yeah. holds on it too to a point where I just started like it it's. I mean, it's, it is just funny, but it becomes a different type of comedy the further it goes, like the more prolonged that scene and that shot becomes. Just watching her like look up basically directly into Van Damme's ass <laughs> is hilarious. Um, so that, that, that really was a good comedic beat, I thought. Yeah, yeah, I, I I like some of the stuff where they're you know kind of like hanging out together, and he you know she he the super soldier powers that he has, where he you know the the truck runs out of gas and he has to push it, and then he's like you know ripping, doing crazy physical things like tearing through walls while trying to like run away and stuff like that, and it it, it takes a toll, it causes them to overheat. So you yeah. know there's there's bits where like she has to go and grab like. Uh, 15 bags of ice to drop on him while he sits naked in the tub and stuff like that. And there's bits too, where he's like, obviously like obsessing over protecting her as he sees it. And, and he's like being like, you must buckle up. It's for your safety. (laughs) And she's just like, okay, we just like ran away from like machine gun (laughs) fire from super soldiers running through walls. And like, you're worried about like my seatbelt and stuff like that. So there's a couple little like sort of like fish out of water, super soldier kind of comedy that they try to pull that works. I love too, that they fit in as they do in every Jean-Claude Van Damme film. One of my favorite, favorite things every time it appears in one of his movies where they try to explain where his accent comes yeah. from. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's like, are you from France or Canada? 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it, it always works, man. It always works. I was, I just watched sudden death like a couple weeks ago for the first time. And th- I loved in that one where they literally just make him a Canadian hockey guy. And yeah. they, they were like, it, it's die hard in a hockey rink. So just make him a Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. But yeah. And then as, as Jamie mentioned, you know, her looking through his legs, but my favorite part of that is that it becomes, you know, uh, it's actually a shot reverse shot framed where he's like looking at yeah. her through his yeah. thighs as well. Oh, I for- yeah, like- <laughs> that's a great one. Yeah. Yeah. I almost forgot about that. Yeah. Like there's, there's great little touches like that. That is like, you know, it's directorial flourishes. So, you know, credit has to be given to Roland Emmerich on some level that, you know, he came up with some of the sort of the lean visualization of this, both in terms of the action and, and some of the, the, you know, the comedy of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. You and then, and then, yeah, the, the oh, ice bath too. I, I don't know. I feel like that that felt lifted from Jacob's ladder too. Like it really felt like this movie is yeah. really just like a cobbling together of so many just like Vietnam movies and like like <laughs> you know like it's it's kind of like they were like let's look at every like like robot soldier movie and every Vietnam movie and let's kind of like just just mix Slap it all it together. together. Yeah, yeah. But it works better than you would expect from like that <laughs> that premise, I guess. I oh, it like. definitely does. And once again, just having these two kinds of pe- like actors star in the role really works. Like with like we were talking about Van Damme's kind of uh, stoic presence um, really works with him being the fish out of water cyborg. And then Dolph, he Dolph is great because even though some of his like pronunciation of words can be a little awkward, he's always fully committed to it. And so when he starts to really ham it up as the evil soldier guy and start using like his one liners and stuff, um, it, it's, uh, it's really good that they did cast it really well. And, and even though there's a lot of derivative ideas, they, they find ways of making them fresh every single time or at the very least entertaining, you know, Roland yeah. just has a really good eye for things, I think. So, I, well, yeah, and, also, and, and, and there's lots of goofy detail to it, right, uh, too, right? Like, there's, like, I love their truck base that just travels around yeah. in this chase movie that's, like, a traveling carnival, but it just holds super soldiers that <laughs> yeah. they then unleash on the various locations that Van Damme ends in. Like, we talked about the gas station. Like, they literally just explode that entire gas station, and there's a great stunt where Dolph Lundgren is in the backseat of the car, and Van Damme, like, hits a rock, and D- Dolph literally flies from yeah, the backseat of the car through the fucking twos. windshield. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that is that is actually, I think, the exact moment that he goes crazy, too, is right it after is. he gets Bruce Campbell, and then he just goes nuts. Which, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I can understand that. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that truck is so cool. The set design inside of it, too, I absolutely love. That's one of my favorite just, like, styles of set is just, like, you know, like a lab with screens everywhere and, like, tanks and 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 vapored every and and wires and just beeping constantly just so like over the top and 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 just yeah that that truck is what is just so fun yeah well and, and it leads to a really cool thing too where like previously in the film we've seen them it's it's been shot and treated like it was kind of like a uh, you know, it was like a workplace. It was where all these scientists went and they, you know, they worked on this elite commando team and, you know, like that's kind of how it's treated. But when Dolph wakes up and he's like, my name is Sergeant Andrew Scott. And he starts and they start realizing that they basically activated his killing instincts and reignited him and unleashed a psycho who thinks he's still shit. at war on everyone. Well, yeah. And, and he he uh, he goes into that set and he like shoots the tech geeks head off and then he punches <laughs> through another dude's like oh, face yeah. mask. 
Oh, um, yeah. That's, and then my, he, that's my favorite kill in the movie when he punches through the face mask and then he like snaps the neck just by like grabbing him by the cheeks by the f- and then yeah, he wipes like, his finger onto his, his uniform. Oh, yeah. man. <laughs> Yeah, Beautiful. and then and then we 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 see shots of them like working on other soldiers' intestines while he has now taken command of the truck and stuff like that. It, it, it honestly takes on like this mad scientist horror quality uh, once Dolph Lundgren takes command of that set. And there's a part two where he like uh, has shoves the the memory erase injector serum into one of the dude's back of his head, and it comes out like the front of his face. Yeah, like it's like a slasher kill. Yeah, it's straight up a slasher kill. And then meanwhile, too, they have uh, Van Dam and the reporter, like j- basically terrorizing a southern restaurant <laughs> because Van Dam <laughs> doesn't have any money and has no concept of money. <laughs> so that this scene, as entertaining as it is, feels definitely strange, at least in my opinion, just because these people yeah. are nothing more than restaurant owners <laughs> that just want the money that they're owed for the meal that he's, that he's having. And he just kicks the ass of every single fucking person that, that comes up to him. It, it, it well, does yeah, lead the, the, to some comedy where he's like, I don't want to hurt you. I just want to eat <laughs> that kind of thing. But. Yeah. Well, the, the, the funniest thing is that partially what Cameron mentioned though, is that like Van Damme doesn't do anything to escalate that situation. That's true. Like they come out like already angry which is just such like a strange choice where it's like the, everyone is weirdly aggressive yeah. towards him <laughs> yeah. despite the fact that it would be very simply answered yeah. if like the girl came back in and was like oh yeah i'm gonna pay for this like, right. he wasn't not gonna pay or anything yeah, but like, the, the waitress comes out the waitress like is already mean to him before he orders stuff. yeah she waits until he's already eaten like 12 plates of food to be like hey can you pay for this and, like i would ask maybe that's after maybe scam. three yeah yeah <laughs> but yeah I, I, it, it does create some good uh physical comedy where like van damme is literally you know he's doing his thing where he he like kicks a dude into the air who lands on a pool table which hits all the pool balls and goes into the pockets Right, um, right, and 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 he and he does that like while he's eating a sandwich, and he's like, "I just want to eat." Right, and then you have the reporter <laughs> coming up, like looking at the scene, going, "So how was lunch?" That kind of thing, you know, just yeah. He like wink. breaks a dude's head on the jukebox, and he like uh, <laughs> I, one of my favorite touches too in 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 this is it's it's a, a thing that you can always do with van damme because he's so good at the kicks but it, it, it's a nice visual touch every time i see it which is that they can just do a classic dirty over the shoulder shot of whoever van damme's looking at and uh you'll just see a foot come from the bottom of the frame and him in the face. <laughs> like they, they they don't cut to the wide of him doing it his feet just like come into the frame and knock a dude over <laughs> It's uh, like, where are they coming from? I imagine so like good. these like stretchy snakes you know, moving around the <laughs> yeah. set and whatnot. They, it's always a fun time. And it, it's just because Van Damme was that much of an athlete. Like hardly, you, you couldn't frame another person kicking that way. Like another person has to put their whole body into it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like that, that scene is like pretty fun too. I also like kind of like the cuteness of Van Damme, like snapping her cigarette being because he's trying to protect her and being like, this is dangerous for you. Right. Van Damme ultimately was like, you know, he was like, just put on your seatbelt and don't smoke. That was <laughs> ultimately the message of the film. Um, but then you contrast, you know, sort of like sweeter scenes like that with like, at this point, I think is when we hit the grocery store scene, right? Where Dolph Lundgren is yeah, just like yeah. literally dragging corpses through the grocery store, which is where you get more of that. I think that that more commentary in the imagery, because it's like 
you know, everyone in the grocery store, no one's an asshole there. Everyone's it's like a, it's like a pristine, clean place where people are just shopping around and you just see <laughs> Dolph Lundgren dragging bodies yeah, just uh, through it. You fucked up corpses. The, the other soldiers eating raw meat. <laughs> yeah, that's my that's my absolute favorite thing in this movie. I think is yes. the soldier just like just ripping into just a yeah raw a steak. T-bone steak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> is everyone just like staring in fear? Oh, it's so so cool. It's great. Yeah. And then, like, the security guards or cops or whatever come in, and he just, like, executes them yeah. all. Yeah, kills, stuff like, like, four that. cops just instantly. He said, I wrote this, he said, uh, he says, and I, Sergeant Andrew Scott of the U.S. Army, I'm going to teach them all. And then he just kills four cops, like, instantly. There's so, also so a crazy. crazy shot where Dolph is uh, dangling a dude from his leg upside down, and he just says, I like your belt. Can I have it? And he just steals his <laughs> belt from him. So... <laughs> That's great, too. Not much commentary there for me, but I just found it hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. That's well, I, I really a, like he's a, to... he's a predator, too. Like, he, they, they made him a Terminator and a predator. Like, he takes trophies from people. Because, like, when he shows up at <laughs> yeah. the end, he has, like, he has dog tags. He has that belt. He has, like, he's wearing, like, like a bunch of police badges and sheriff badges <laughs> on his jacket. And then he also has, like, a rattlesnake rattle hanging from his hair. Right. Like, he... It, <laughs> it's so yeah it's so it's such a such a weird mashup yeah 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 and i i love too the big monologues he goes on because he's like fully convinced he's still fighting you know like a vietnam insurgency and he's like god damn it the whole platoon is dropping like flies you got any idea what it's like out there he's like screaming at like some old woman trying to like you know buy a grape yeah he's got lines <laughs> where like the war is over and dolph's like not for me that kind of shit yeah, yeah, and uh, this this eventually leads to, like, a really fucking crazy set piece mm-hmm. where um, Van Damme um, eventually gets gets captured by the police and is put in, like, you know, sort of like a, like a prison bus. And at this point, uh, Dolph has gone, he's, like, full commander leader, and he has all the tech now. So he's got, like, the big rig science fiction truck. And he just chases down that prison uh, bus, and it is a great set piece in, like, this, like, on the edge of, like, this Arizona desert slash, like, mountain area. And, you know, you, like, you, you can see the truck approaching, like, Steven Spielberg's duel style, like, through the bus windows and everything. Like, it's so large and imposing. And then they're laying out, like, machine gun fire uh, next to it. Like, they're in, like, a rival pirate boat or something like that. Yeah. And the driver's, like, head explodes with squibs. And then the truck's driving itself, just going straight for the edge of the cliff and stuff like that. While, like, Dolph Lundgren is, like, hurling grenades into the fucking truck and the girl has to like pick them up fast enough to throw them out the window. Yeah. It's a really crazy set it's piece. It's so cool. It feels like a video yeah. game boss. Like it's very, it's like, <laughs> it's, it's so cool. Yeah. I, in my notes, I literally just wrote car fight because I couldn't think of like the words to write how cool I thought this was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's just it. It reminded me of like duel or breakdown, like the films we've talked about on this show where it's literally like car versus car thrillers. Um, 
Like you, I, I haven't right. seen it uh, quite on like that scale because like, you know, Steven Spielberg's duel doesn't have the guy hurling grenades at them and Dolph like doing one liners out the side of the big rig. And, you know, it, it doesn't quite have the drama of them also doing these really great, like wide Vista shots. Again, just really great location work where you can like literally see like the edges of the cliffs and everything like that. And uh, it, it's, it's really impressively done where it, it, it creates some tension on like one of these vehicles is going going over the edge and you know it's happening turns out both of them actually i'm pretty sure yeah and that shot of uh, van damme like getting out of the bus as it's being dragged towards the cliff and jumping off is a legitimately awesome stunt like it's just it shows like the from a complete wide shot the the whole like the truck uh, pushing yeah, the, complete. The, you're talking. You're talking about when it's completely flipped over, and he, yeah. he, the the big rig is like pushing it off the edge, yeah. And then he he climbs out like through one of like the uh, the, the open the, windows, the side I windows of the bus, and he's on top of it while the truck is pushing him off. <laughs> yeah, it's great. It's really. Good. It looks really fucking dangerous. So it I'll does. Give them credit. It looked legitimate, which I was concerned about. <laughs> it looked like a real cliff and and a real stunt that Van Dam did. So yeah, that was a that was a big one. Yeah, yeah, and, and and Dolph in the big ring ends up like going off the edge, and there's a giant, you know, explosion. Uh, explosion. I wasn't sure if it was like miniatures or not because it looks really good. It was it was yeah. convincing if it wasn't miniatures, um, but yeah, like it was. It, it's a it's a really really cool set piece. And what's interesting is that you know that would be anyone else. That would be anyone else's like you know the big set piece of the film. And I was sitting there going, man, there's still like. 25 minutes left in this movie. Yeah. The first time I <laughs> yeah. watched it, I was like, what's going on here? And of, of course they have to do that, that, uh, that slasher movie idea of he didn't actually get taken down and you got to fight him once again. <laughs> and it, it, it also just hammers home also again, sort of like the sort of like uh, domestic spaces being intruded on by this violence. Cause they, you know, they've, they've done the gas station, which they've exploded and surrounded with charred cyborg bodies, which was a detail we slightly missed. <laughs> um, they've, they've done the, the diner, the grocery store, the motel. And now we've ended up at, you know, just the, the nice family farmhouse you know in yeah. louisiana mm-hmm. where uh, they've 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 taken uh, luke Devereux, uh, jean-claude van damme's character back to his to his family home uh and we get what we've been waiting for the whole time van damme versus dolph full-on final fight confrontation style uh two super soldiers kind of like uh going at each other and they they incorporate like Dolph injecting himself with the serum to make himself stronger. Oh, yeah. Eventually Van Damme has to inject himself with it to like meet him on his level. And before and, that, yeah, uh, Van Damme is just getting like tossed around by Dolph, which was really interesting yeah, to see. Yeah. Like, Thrown he's just through throwing. barn doors. <laughs> yeah, there's one part where Dolph is holding him like from his shirt, uh, the, like the back of his shirt, like like a like a log if you're trying to take down a door and he just starts pummeling the guy uh, through the window of the, of the door of the car door and it's just it's wild like it's really really violent and just to see van damme take that kind of a beating was interesting yeah i love this 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 final confrontation this is like i think exactly in any movie where you know it's two big action guys and you know they're gonna fight by the end this is exactly the style of fight i want to see at the end where it's like you know, it's it's like pouring rain, but there's also somehow like fire too, like around them, <laughs> yes. and it's just like like muddy and like it's just like yeah, they're just throwing each other around. It's such a good final fight, like just so perfect and climactic. I like how it progresses too, because it starts off with kind of like the pushing of each other and whatever, and then it turns into the gunfight, and then and then eventually they're just straight up brawling. 
Um, so yeah, it, it kind of takes all aspects of what these actors are known for, and then putting it all together into this finale was really cool. It also has a and such an incredible one-liner for like the turning point where like Van Damme starts to finally uh, start like beating Dolph is when when Dolph says um, say good night asshole and then he just looks back at him and says good night asshole and <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> starts going at it so cool yeah there's there's a lot of really great stuff in there as you mentioned it's there it, it's just nothing but like again this was that period when like every American action movie was stealing shit from John Woo. So like half of what you watch is just like uh destruction of the environment plus slow-mo of, you know, fire and things everywhere and just blood and mud and, you know, ev- all the elements there. And so, you know, you get a moment like Van Damme in slow motion just rising his head and it's like the most, you know, it, it's yeah. so emphasized. It's like the biggest thing in the world because, you know, he, uh, Dolph at that point, I think, is like threatening both the family and he's threatening um, the, the reporter and everything like that. And he's like, well, you you know, you can't you can't do that. And and Dolph at this point, too, he gets to go uh, like pretty maniacal with the lines. Oh, yeah. He gets to go like, uh, we should shoot her in the head. And then he goes, hey, it's empty. It's empty, yeah. man. <laughs> I also love when JCVD starts to do his signature kicks and he starts like Dolph is getting excited that he's fighting back. And he's like, that's the spirit soldier. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Good. And, and he, he gets some some good lines where he's just like, uh, you're asking for a court martial or something <laughs> yeah. like that. He, uh, he also he does. Like, he says, wow, she really has beautiful ears when he when he kidnaps <laughs> the, the reporter. Such a weird line. Dolph is just, you can tell that Dolph's having a fucking blast too, which, oh, was, which yeah. was a lot of fun to see. Like, Because he doesn't get to ham it up too much in a lot of the movies I've seen, but this one he just gets to go full throttle with it, and he, he's, he's like got a smile while he's doing all of, all of these lines, so it was, it was fun to see. Yeah, and I, I really like too that, you know, this is, you know, it's, it's uh, Dolphin Van Damme, you know, they, as you'll see too, if anyone goes and checks out the direct-to-video sequels, like, they, uh, Dolph at, at this point was in a lot better shape than he is when he's a little bit older. He can't do quite the kicks that he can do that he does in this, but right. Dolph and Van Damme did a lot more kicks than a lot of the other big action stars do. So watching these two like roundhouse kick each other and like yeah. kick each other and stuff <laughs> is just a lot of fun. And I'd love how they incorporated that into like the big climactic moment where like Van Damme gets to do a jump kick to Dolph who then gets, uh, pierced by the harvester that they visually set up so early in that set piece they keep cutting back to it and you're like i wonder if that harvester is going to (laughs) be used uh and and dolph just gets a giant harvester pierced through his chest and then you think that it's over but it's not he keeps coming for him and eventually he he breaks his arm so that he feels a bunch of pain from that and then just turns it on and just mulches yeah. him while saying, oh my God. you're discharged, Sarge. It's literally a Mortal Kombat stage fatality. Like, oh, yes. yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, the chunks of him fly into the air. He just gets completely threshed. It's incredible. And then, yeah, and then the, the like he goes back to the r- reporter or whatever, and she's like, where is he? And he says, around. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude, you literally get the shot of the chunks coming at the end of it. Like, it's Fargo. <laughs> yeah, 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 you do. And I like that they, they do that k- kind of cliche, but always love it, um, thing where where Van Damme has, you know, realized his humanity. And so he's just like, no, 
I am alive. And then that's when he starts kicking Dolph into the spikes and all that. It's done. Well, yeah, because it's, it's, it's a reference earlier to when they say that um, he doesn't realize that he's alive. And he said, no, he doesn't realize that he's dead. Right. We're both dead. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now but but now now he's got something to live for. And I think she they even end on a joke, too, where she's like, how do you feel? And he's like, I feel like a 50 year old <laughs> because he's so exhausted. Yeah. He yeah. feels his age finally. <laughs> and then the greatest touch of all time. Do you guys know it? It's coming. Body count. Oh yep. yeah, body count. Yeah. <laughs> body count. Body count. Dude, that un- unbelievable. But that that that's the drop after this like sentimental hug scene with him. Yeah, I um, know. It, oh. I mean, I black. love it. It's so '90s, and I'm 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 all the way for it. But <laughs> it's just so funny that they they really dive into that kind of like. I found my humanity. I have a reason to live. I have a love in my life, possibly. And cue body count. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, to be fair though, we sh- we should be clear. He got to that conclusion by mulching <laughs> Dolph Lundgren into pieces. Yeah, that's that's that is very true. So I see. And, and I would say that there there is a very severe body count to the film. I'm not sure if that's why they selected the. the, the yeah, that's gotta not. be it. That's gotta be it. But yeah, I the the, the hardcore hip hop uh, slash rock group body count. Uh, headlined or uh, yeah, headed by Ice T. Yep, doing Who his we will song be talking Body about. Count. <laughs> body Count in the House. Yeah, it's a connection between the two films. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> doing Body Count in the House. And Jamie, I don't know if you can, uh, if we're able to even play the song at all. But if anyone who hasn't heard it, they they have to hear just a, oh, a couple yeah. lines of it is such body a count, sick song. Body Count. But yeah, that that is uh, Universal Soldier pivoting towards the. Uh, reductive uh rating round here uh this one gets a solid four for me as i mentioned yeah. you know this movie very blatantly steals from obviously some of the best a- actioners of the 80s like we talked about robocop and terminator i even mentioned a little bit of rambo in there too with bringing sort of like vietnam war home and the dehumanizing effect of you know militarization and done in this you know very lean sort of like genre machine kind of style of filmmaking i think that it's done very um you know solidly by emmerich i would have liked to have seen him make more movies like this yeah i agree um, and i and i and i think that the you know it, it it's what it lends itself well to both van damme and lundgren who you know at the time uh especially you know in english maybe still wasn't you know what they were most comfortable yeah. with <laughs> it um, is, I, we didn't even mention it's so funny that they're like cast as these two like they're like you know objects of like american all american boys but yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure well yeah and, and and the third guy is a german guy and emmerich is also german so it's so funny like this is <laughs> yeah. this was like this was a european's vision of what um you know sort of american militarization coming back to america might look like and you know what it it's uh it's 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 good it's yeah. you know their their stiff acting style lends itself to this idea of reanimated vietnam meat sacks coming back <laughs> to unleash violence at a you know at a, a local diner or gas station or grocery store uh near you and i like too that you know they uh van damme plays it as the muscled innocent puppy dog and lundgren is the <laughs> muscled gen- genocidal psycho and together they form this uh this yin yang of America's violent uh, amnesia and uh, just really gross violence that they unleash. I didn't clock it until Cameron mentioned it, but it, it is true that all of the violence here is done on like, you know, uh, 
you know, it, it, it's not heroic violence. It's all very horrifying violence. And yeah. uh, despite that, this film is directed again with absolutely zero pretension by yep. Roland Emmerich. Uh, despite, you know, the fact that we've d- d- <laughs> described a mid-budget B movie with a high concept sci-fi premise that could be done by someone else like a Paul Verhoeven as a satire. Instead, all we get here is all the kicks and grenades and squibs and one-liners and just pure 90s slow-mo fire and rain ownage that is uh, absolutely as R-rated as one could hope from um, a movie like this. So, yeah, I would have liked to have seen uh, Emmerich make more films like this Yeah. Uh, instead of, uh, you know, what he ended up doing. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, Emmerich has a... He's always gone for those, like, big-scale kind of films, especially later on. I think this is a good mixture of, of both, like, a, a more... I mean, mostly just like the location work, a grounded hmm. action. 90s yeah, it's, action it, it, film. it's like like the concept is a lean thriller, but he directs it as like a big meat-headed dumb guy action yeah. with huge scale when 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 the action actually hits. Exactly, exactly. So yeah, I, I would give this uh, a four out of five as well. I think this is a perfect vehicle for Dolph and uh, and Van Dam. Um, I I really do like Roland's. Uh, uh, visual flair. I think the the colors in in the motel sequence are really really cool. It's like uh, greens and purples, um, which I liked a lot. Uh, it, it, he's just uh, he's a he's a good filmmaker. I just think that, like you said, Josh, he's diving, especially in the last like twenty years, he's basically just diving into the PG disaster kind of films a lot of the time, or maybe like a big scale war kind of film. And I just think he would really benefit from going back to the more like visceral and violent bloody stuff that he did here. Um, yeah. Did, did any of you guys watch his 10,000 BC? Which I, was, like, I his didn't. Attempt at, I like, heard it was not good. He tried, he, he tried to like PG apocalypto. Such a weird yeah. thing. To try to <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't, I don't get it. I think I really hope that something clicks in his brain while his career is still going that he goes, I need to create something really visceral and violent again, because I think this he's is- very good at it. Um, this is super weird that I know this, I know this too, but I actually think that his, his best film other than this and Stargate is his Shakespeare movie. Did you guys know that he made a Shakespeare movie? I have it on my list, but I only recently found out about it because I saw that you rated it pretty highly. So yeah, it's, 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 it's a, it's, it's a movie that he did about, uh, it's called anonymous and it's literally a movie about the conspiracy theory that Shakespeare didn't write any of his plays. That's awesome. Um, and Roland Emmerich essentially just takes that at face value and makes a movie dramatizing the ver- the the sort of like conspiracy thriller on what if Shakespeare was a hack fraud who stole all his work from like other people. And it's surpri- it's surprisingly classical and serious. And I was like, it's like the only non-action movie that I've seen him do. And it was surprisingly better than a lot of his, you know, uh, you know, his actual disaster stuff that he's done. Yeah, yeah, because I do like. But, but before we go too far, I was just gonna say oh, I, go do, I do like Independence Day, but they're like you know, 2012, uh, Day After Tomorrow. I, I find those quite boring and overly long, very bloated, um, and they could all use like more gore. I mean, if you had 2012, but people were just getting like decapitated <laughs> by flying signs or something, I would be I'd be like, yeah, 2012, sick. Well, but a little bit more on board. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, for before we digress uh, too far, uh, Cameron, for you. Yeah, do you guys 
do you guys do half stars or no? You don't? Yeah, yeah. Feel yeah, free. okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm giving this a 3.5. Um, nice. Because I think this is just, to me, the definition of just, you know, a solid action movie. It's nothing that, that you know, does anything, like, super special with the form. It's very clearly a pastiche of a lot of stuff. But I think that's what makes it so fun is that, you know, it's not... It's, you know, it, it has a lot of stuff going on from, like, T2 and... and, and um, you know, Robocop and such, but it's not, you know, it's not choosing one of those to really focus on. It, it, it kind of just pulls elements from a lot of stuff. I think it's just a nice, like, like well done, uh, like, I guess, object of the genre. You know, it's like, it's not like you watch it and it's like a worse version of any of those. It's just, it's just its own, its own little funny little thing. But mm-hmm. I do think that for me, you know, I think a lot of the, the comedy that's thrown in there, there's a lot that's like fun that's kind of done visually, but most of the comedy that's like in the dialogue is just really tough for me. I don't <laughs> it like kind of kind of takes me out of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's that it's that uh, blockbuster family. Yeah, exactly. It's thing. the kind of yeah, thing. I mean, and, and uh, it's also just a per, uh, like a personal bias, but it totally I hear the like type of jokes that, you know, that it's that are being written in here and it's it just gives me flashbacks of, of Godzilla in 1998. And I'm like, yeah, I, I see where this guy's headed. I don't know. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, just, just disgusting gore, which is really nice. Um, I think it could be a little, like a little shorter too, but you know, other than that, just, yeah, yeah just solid. Definitely. Definitely. And if anyone hasn't seen, uh, the direct video sequels from 2009 and 2012, universal soldier regeneration and universal soldier day of reckoning, uh, must watch yeah, it. They, I've heard and, those are Day incredible. Of, Day of Reckoning is absolutely the best one, and Regeneration is basically just as good as this one. They're all fours for me, but Reckoning was honestly, it almost hit that five for me because, like that that first direct to video sequel, it takes the soup court like the reanimated corpse super soldier concept and instead of doing like kind of like the broad 90s actioner with it 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 try to tries to turn it into kind of like this like eastern front like synth horror film almost where it's like you know the, the van damme is now kind of like the aged clone of the former luke Devereux, and you know he basically has to kind of just get back into and instinctively what he knows how to do when he's like woken up to being repurposed by someone else and he just like shreds people on screen and hyams uh, john hyams who's the son of peter hyams one of the best people working in like direct-to-video action right now like really clean widescreen framing and camera movement and like the actual martial arts choreography and stuff is like fantastic and if you want to see like dolphin van damme in their old age like doing stuff that's like just as impressive as when they were younger you know like they're it's very very grisly action and then for day of reckoning they just take that whole like slasher kind of thing they tried in regeneration and they take it to like a full-on like surreal horror abstraction it's like i things i thought about watching day of reckoning was like things like zoller or like Lynch, there's a there's a death in it oh, wow. that reminded me of like Twin Peaks: The Return almost. It has like full on massacres and like punches through people's heads where like the gore goes everywhere and like. <laughs> they also throw in Scott Adkins, who is like the modern, you Love know, it. athlete king of uh, you know direct video action stuff. Some of his fighting that they do is incredible, and he gets a one on one fight with Dolph and a one on fight with uh, Van Dam, which which I oh, won't that's spoil, awesome. but I will say that that they are. Uh, both Van Damme's is more physically impressive, but Dolph's is incredibly violent and has like machetes and stuff in it. It's, cool. it's, uh, 
really, really crazy stuff and lots of slow-mo neon despair and hyper-violence and, again, some of the cleanest martial arts stuff. The kind of stuff that you wish that you still saw in action movies today, but, like, you kind of have to go back to old Jackie Chan stuff Mm -hmm. to see people do those kinds of fighting and choreography and stuff. You can still find that stuff happening in the direct-to-video scene, and I am pleased to say that Universal Soldier sequels are those kinds of movies. Like, they're more martial arts-heavy than this movie is. Oh, okay, that's <laughs> by that's, a lot. That's interesting. Yeah, I've got the the second one on my download list right now. I'm probably gonna watch it tonight, honestly. Hell yeah! So definitely recommend uh, checking those out before we go. And then the last thing I wanted to mention before we move on, because somehow I missed saying this in my notes. Did you guys read that thing about how Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren apparently attended the Cannes Film Festival together for this film, and like they they to promote the film, they like literally staged a fight as if they were really <laughs> mad at each other. <laughs> That's awesome. No, that's awesome. That's so Does cool. anyone that's, have that, that videotape somewhere? Because I would love to see it. I don't know. I'm going to have to see if they can find it. But they, they literally staged a brawl on like the red carpet at Cannes, <laughs> pretending that they there was real beef behind the scenes, even though they, they both revealed later that they're like best buds. That's so sick. So funny. That's I love great. it. <laughs> that's so good. But uh, yeah, I think that wraps it up here for Universal Soldier. We're going to be right back and we're going to be talking about Johnny mnemonic a pair of forceps for the future's most wanted fugitive Keanu Reeves you can't shoot not in the head. Johnny Mnemonic. All right, we are back and we are talking Johnny Mnemonic, the 1995 Canadian-American cyberpunk action thriller film directed by Robert Longo in his directorial debut. What a debut movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. What a brave debut. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. Also, his only movie. Yeah. Right? Yes, I believe so. that's my favorite. When a man has a vision, makes it, goes out, just just leaves. <laughs> yeah. The, he yeah. Did, he we'll did get, we'll get shorts, into some interesting but... conversations about him. Um, because uh, I don't know if you guys you guys know that, but he's a he's a, a visual artist. Like okay. He's a painter. Gotcha. Um, first, first and foremost, and oh. I, I thought it was very interesting because I was trying to figure out if he, you know if he didn't make another film because this kind of went poorly and people didn't want him to bring a, do another film or if he just had it with the experience because he preferred, you know, kind of the, the, uh, isolation of, you know, doing, you know, visual art instead. Um, I, I read a, for this, I read a conversation kind of like a couple of years later, I think that was between, um, the writer William Gibson and Robert Longo were Robert Longo. They were like, both of them were basically like not filmmakers, like either of them. They were both like, you know, he sits in his room and he writes his stuff and I sit in my room and I paint my stuff. And we both came together and made a film, but neither of us really knew how to make a film. And he said that they were both so stressed at making such a collaborative piece of work that they were very excited to be done filming this and to go back to just turtling, (laughs) you know, like apartments and stuff like that. So that's kind of like the personalities that they had here. But famously, uh, he did the men in cities paintings, which, uh, even though, even if you might not know them by name, you'd probably recognize them. If you saw them, uh, they're a very famous drawing and print series. Um, 
which depict like these kind of like sharply dressed men and women, but like their bodies are all like freakishly contorted uh, in, in various ways. And very famously, they're actually what's hanging on the walls of Patrick Bateman's apartment in American Psycho. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> uh, he, so he, he has this very kind of like, uh, you know, it's kind of described by others as very kind of like stark sort of like Neo expressionist, uh, you know, painting style. And, uh, you know, he, he, he translated that into eventually production design work and eventually music videos. And, you know, that that was enough for him to, you know, eventually get considered when they were looking for someone to uh, make a film, which was, you know, an adaptation of a short story, obviously, by William Gibson, who is like one of the most famous sci-fi authors of all time. He is typically referred to as the father of cyberpunk. Uh, because he did a lot of sort of like noir stories that involve cyberspace and cybernetics and computer technology. A lot of his descriptions pre-internet like vaguely sound like what the internet actually did become. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he, he was kind of a, a bit of a trailblazer in, in that genre. And also he was very against the idea, as you can tell by this movie, of uh, this idea of science fiction as like laser blasters and like pristine buildings, like kind of like what Star right. Wars sometimes looked like. He was he was all about the idea of what if it more closely resembled like the punk grotesqueries on the ground. He describes it as, uh, you know, he wanted to bring rock and roll to sci-fi was what I read <laughs> that he said that he wanted to do with a lot of his writing. That's where you get um, like, like especially Ice-T's gang that we'll get into where... Um, you know, they kind of, they all have that kind of like the punkish aesthetic and yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They're living in like a dilapidated bridge. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, and I think overall, both of those two guys, you know, coming together to make something, it does translate. I, you know, we'll get into obviously the, some of the crazy specifics of it and we'll, we'll lay out the, the story and everything. But, but overall, I really liked this kind of like the sort of vaguely Terminator tech noir thing meets like a fantasy dystopia with like cyborg body mods and like, you know, the, 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 the capitalism literally poisoning the, the people. And then they throw in some Takeshi Kitano, who obviously one of the best Japanese actors and filmmakers um, at the time. I'm actually kind of embarrassed that we're talking about, this is the first time we're going to be talking about (laughs) Takeshi Kitano (laughs) because like, you know, eventually we're going to do like violent cop and Sonatine and like Hanabi and like some of, you know, some of his all timer, you know, Yakuza and gangster films that he did that have like a really amazing, you know, emotional through line to a lot of them. But then, you know, you also throw in Dolph Lundgren, you have Keanu Reeves, and then you have, you know, a heroin addicted codebreaker dolphin, (laughs) put all those things together. And you kind of got you you got some cinema on your hands. Oh, that's I think. yeah. A lot, a, 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 lot, a lot a lot of people seem to disagree. This doesn't seem to be a particularly uh, loved film uh, by any means, especially just looking at some of my mutuals. Uh, How can you not it. appreciate I, a heroin yeah, addicted dolphin? I, I don't mean, get it. People are uh, you got to be a real like stick in the mud to not find some fun in this. I think like to not see yeah. some like gen- genuine like interesting and is uh, like some talent involved too. I mean. Absolutely. This, I think probably on it, what rubs people the wrong way, I want to say, is that, you know, this is definitely much more of a, a writer-heavy film than it is a director-heavy one, with, like, the exception of, you know, yeah. some some really cool sequences. Like, I know a lot of people hate the CGI internet stuff. I think that's so cool. I think that's some <laughs> yeah. of the best parts of the movie, some, like, really interesting flair thrown in. But this is definitely more like, this feels like William Gibson was like, oh, shit, I'm writing a movie. Oh, fuck, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. and just kind of like went balls to the wall in a way that you don't really see, 
I think in a lot of movies it's written it's it's definitely written more like a novel than it is like a movie. Um, yeah, well, and and it's clearly written like outside what they could achieve on a budgetary level. And it was funny they both talked about when they wanted to make it together. They originally pitched it as like a one point five million dollar movie or something, and no one was taking them seriously. And then eventually they came back and pitched it as a like a fifteen million dollar film and a twenty million dollar film. Eventually it ended up being a thirty million dollar film, like a huge film for two first time filmmakers. And they ended up getting obviously some big actors involved in it and everything like that. But I think you're right in the sense that like. Gibson describes writing, uh, you know, novels as like, you don't need to care about anything else. Like you can literally write whatever the fuck you want. You're not thinking about a budget while you're writing. You're just imagining these amazing things on the page. And so it, what I think we see in this film is Gibson's very clear talent and imagination rub up against what was literally tangibly possible in the year (laughs) 1995 to capture his vision. Right? Like I, I think that that's, ultimately the issue here uh for the film but i'm surprised that you know there are so many people who you know they don't get any kind of goofy charm out of that ambition they see it and they go oh it failed they don't go look what they tried to do isn't it so crazy yeah um, and most, that, which is kind of like my my you know the feelings that i came out of the film with watching it for the first time and honestly most of the time i found it to be Pretty well made. I mean, like, you know, you can make fun of the CGI parts where he goes into the computer, but I do think that there's a specific charm and also just like the visualization from the 90s of what the virtual reality internet would be is is very interesting. But for the most part, mm-hmm. I thought the effects were were pretty good. Like they have a, yeah. they have that really awesome tool that the that the bad guys use that's like the the red laser wire cutter mm-hmm. basically. And yeah, and yeah, they yeah. have yeah. moments where they take that that laser wire and just decapitate people as if they're like slitting their throats like an assassin or something. Um, and it's yeah. it's well done. I think it's cut together in a way that, you know, the decapitations are believable. Uh, there's some good gunfighting in it. Um, I do like Keanu in this as well. I think that he's well suited to this role. So yeah, there's a lot yeah. to, to really go on about. It's yeah, it's, I mean, and as the CGI, uh, internet stuff too, I, I think what uh, like, you know, I can kind of understand where some people are coming from, whether like, you know, I think there are some, some weird cardboard actors in this movie and you know there's a yeah. every once in a while there's a shot that's just very wonky and kind of makes it takes you out of it a little bit but like you know stuff like the cgi internet i see people complain like oh like remember back in the 90s when we thought that's what the internet would look like and it's like what do you want these guys to sit down and type at a computer for like two <laughs> minutes instead yeah, like exactly. like this looks so cool like it's so imaginative and fun and 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 just like uh, and like yeah I also like i mean i have to say the world building like you know i think that mm-hmm. i think that you're right that like it's a lot about what they kind of tried to do but i think on a lot of that just like their sheer attempt to like you know flesh out this world in a in a way that's maybe wasn't financially or like even maybe physically possible in the way they wanted to just works just because they just had the sheer willpower to try to do it like you're just instantly dropped into this place and you have like there's 20 factions already and like <laughs> yeah. just every set just looks insane in a different way like and it just it just feels like oh this is like some crazy stitched together like east meets west like city just because just because you see so many different people and so many weird stuff going you know it's very yeah yeah it's funny this was a huge concern in the 90s we've discovered doing dolph month 
uh, was that Japan was economically going to supersede <laughs> America because it happens in the Punisher where the Punisher takes on the Yakuza in showdown in little Tokyo. He takes on the Yakuza yep. and now here he, uh, he's not taking down the Yakuza, but the Yakuza are there and they are a physical, you know, presence <laughs> that are uh, go- going, going to harm the hero in a way. But I, but yeah, overall, I think that they did a pretty decent job with this kind of, you know, sort of Blade Runner-esque idea of, like, a futuristic aesthetic that's been infected by all the, all of the, you know, horrible modern systems and, and textures of kind of, like, the present world. So it's a lot of, like, you know, there's these corporate future spaces and neon-lit clubs with, uh, you know, but but in the basement, it's all, like, rusted and dilapidated, and they it's where they slice open people's heads and bodies yeah. for the digital data that's stored inside their skulls. And, you know, when... It's very much a story of Keanu, Keanu's character, who is a guy who makes money by hollowing out his brain of childhood memory so that he can fit corporate data inside of it and literally move data in like a, you know, uh, in in flesh storage. (laughs) And um, it's it's literally him working in that world where he has money from doing that. And he loves the hotels and he loves the, uh, what does he yeah, eventually the, say? The, the $10,000 hookers? The, yeah, the shirts. <laughs> he wants his shirts to be ironed or something. He wants room yeah, service! Yeah. Exactly. He wants exactly. his shirts so laundered like they do at the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo. That's what he says. <laughs> yes. So, so, it, so it's very much him in that lifestyle being thrust down into, you know, like the really filthy alleys and junkyards of like the, the suffering that takes place to make that world possible. Yeah. Do they explain um, like the large, do they explain why they needed uh, like a physical being to, to transfer the, the data rather than just using like what we would do now, like a cloud of some kind. Was there an explanation? Well, from what I understood is they, they, they did it because it was like more top secret and safe. Keanu's brain is not hooked into the internet. Gotcha. They saw it. Just more secure. I see. Gotcha. Yeah, so th- th- this was seen as, like, the ultimate secure way. Although, J- figured, you're, you're not but... wrong, though, Jamie, is that, like, other reviews that I read from the time, that was a big hang-up people had, is that they were like, you know, we're far enough along in the existence of the internet that, like, we think that, you know, you just give them a drive. Or, or, <laughs> yeah. Or fi- just, just, just do some fiber optic <laughs> transfer or something. <laughs> so that was some people's complaints at the time. But, I mean, in my opinion, it's just an excuse to... Yeah, yeah make this yeah. physically exciting exactly um, which is I, yeah. what movies do <laughs> yeah exactly think, yeah <laughs> i think one big thing about cyberpunk um as a genre especially like nowadays is it has kind of this like fundamental juxtaposition where it's like about this like super grim awful world where corporations have have taken over and everyone's being ground down into dust by like you know <laughs> capital and whatever but it's also like oh there's it's like shiny lights and and samurai with laser swords and, <laughs> and stuff you know and i think that this you know does a really good job in kind of walking that middle line where you know something like blade runner is you know it's sad and it's you know it's it's um it's grim but this also doesn't it's not fully crossing the line into like you know it is it's hammy and it's ridiculous but there's still this like this very like yeah like he has information in his brain which is like you know it's so stupid and, and campy but also like <laughs> they are going to cut his head off and they're going to like pull out his organs and stuff like you know yeah. it's very it's and a it's perfect replaced his uh, memories as a person so yeah so yeah yeah exactly it does a great job i think of like 
you know, not leaning too hard into the grim dark, uh, you know, aspects, which, which, you know, can be really overdone and feel very edgy at times, but it's also, you know, it's just goofy and fun at the same time. Yeah. 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 Well, well, that, that's just it is you can tell that on, on some level, you know, they knew that when they actually went to make the film that they were like, holy shit, we're kind of making a pulp movie because it's kind of like this quasi action chase, uh, piece essentially where like you know Keanu uh, there are three different groups of people who just want to chop Keanu's head off <laughs> for the corporate data that he stored in his head like a like a you know like a hard drive essentially and I love that bit where he's just like you know I got 80 gigs of space in my brain I'm gonna double up I'm gonna get that to a solid 160 gigs I'm like sick that's like how much space you know like movie files take up on my computer <laughs> yeah um, yeah and and then, though, they tell him that it's, what, it's, like, 320 gigabytes, yeah. so he takes over capacity. So then the premise becomes, yeah, I mean, he overfilled his head with data, and so his head is literally going to explode in 24 hours if it doesn't get, like, extracted. Yeah. So. And it's interesting. What, what, what's funny is that. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I just talk about the brief thing of some of the Japanese and American versions, like the differences or oh, whatever. Yeah. And just the way that they do it in the um, American version, it seems when he starts to have these these moments, he starts to just kind of see like flashes of katana and stuff. And that's the way that they uh, incorporate it. Whereas the Japanese one seems more based on his actual childhood, uh, like personally. So it's interesting that they make switches there in in both versions because it, for some reason I don't know why they did it, but in the American version they really uh, don't e- they barely show Katano a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, 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 I guess we forgot. Interesting. Yeah. I, I guess we forgot to mention this. We talked about it briefly before we started the show, but there are there are two cuts to this film right. for anyone unfamiliar. There's the American cut. Um, and there's a Japanese cut that has about six or seven more minutes. And most of what's included in the Japanese cut is a little bit more, um, Katano, a little bit more Dolph Lundgren's character and just general, uh, violence. Like there's a lot of stuff where like, you know, they just cut away three seconds earlier in the theatrical. So you don't see like the last detail of like, you know, a a body falling or, you know, a little piece of gore gets missed out or, you know, something like that. But also from what I read, and maybe we'll figure this out here now because Cameron, I think, said he watched the theatrical. I watched Japanese and Jamie I watched, watched both. both. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the score apparently is completely different. So that's a that's a that's a big deal. Like when I was uh, watching the Japanese, it was all like this kind of like synthy and like industrial rock kind of stuff. Yeah. What's the score in the theatrical? Uh, I'm trying to There's remember. Like it's, they have they have some. They got some like metal, like new metal type stuff going on at some parts. Okay. I don't remember, you know, honestly, now that I think about it, I noticed like soundtrack songs. I don't remember if they like, you know, original score songs very much at all, but I know that they had like some Fear Factory. I think Fear Factory might have been the credits actually, but like that type of thing. Gotcha. Fear, gotcha. Yeah. There's one scene when they're in the club, they have like the, the like heavy metal guitars and like the an operatic singer going. I don't know if they had that in the the Japanese cut. They had kind of like a, a Nightwish style thing going on. 
Interesting. Okay. No, the in 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 the Japanese, there were some moments in the more dramatic score moments that kind of sounded a little bit sort of like Twin Peaksy almost. Okay. And then when 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 the action kicked up, it was a lot of score based around, um, you know, like it sounded more like metal. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Th- those those were the two think, different. Yeah. Kind I of think things there was some club between. to death sounding stuff too. Now that I think more about it, I think I remember one fight scene having like a more clubby type thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And like okay. It, it's strange, like the American version with Katano, it it kind of makes it so his character barely makes any sense in, in comparison to the Japanese because he gets really fleshed out in the Japanese cut. He has a ton of moments <laughs> he where he's like he gets a backstory of his his daughter that's passed, and so he's he's kind of working with the overall AI, like that's his motivation for what he's doing. Whereas in the American version, uh, he doesn't even show up. I think until like. 45 minutes into it and even then it's mostly just showing him as like the the leader and just yeah. the guy that's kind of controlling things he doesn't really have, have yeah. much of an arc which is very they have interesting. a few yeah they have a few clips of him throughout he's like he's in there pretty early but only like i think only for like like probably like a minute maybe yeah like he just they just show him as like the commander of the of the yakuza guys and then yeah and then it, it is very in the american cut it is like very strange when he kind of ch- has a change of heart at the yeah. end because they <laughs> barely they mentioned that he has a daughter who died but yeah they don't really establish anything about it or that he cares about it at all like they kind of right. just like say <laughs> that, it. that's so interesting because in in the japanese cut there's scenes of like katano alone in his office looking so yeah. lonely and sad looking at holograms of his dead daughter who oh, died yeah, they, from they the poisoning that. that is causing uh this and he doesn't realize that he's you know eventually we'll get to it but that he's like essentially sitting on the cure so uh, his his role there's, in the japanese is that he ha- he's not friends with the yakuza he just hires them to get the data back because the ai is telling him to do that oh okay yeah, wow, there, yeah, there's also stuff more like with the the lead Yakuza guard that's always hunting Johnny. Um, there's more inf- like uh, scenes where uh, he's talking to the leader and being instructed to do certain things. There's even one part where Katano comes out and just fucking stabs two of his bodyguards to like teach him a lesson or something in the Japanese cut that's not in the American cut. And yeah, it, it's it, the American cut takes out a lot to the point where I actually. I, I definitely prefer the Japanese cut and I think I'd even give it when we'll get to it. Like I would give them both different ratings too. Oh, Cause I, to I, check I interesting. Out. Yeah. I think the American cut does take uh, a bit of a toll with some of the stuff they got rid of. Um, and, and not that it, uh, it really ruins anything. Things still make sense. It's just with the more fleshed out plotting of Katano, especially it, his stuff makes a lot more sense and you get a little bit more fun stuff like that scene where Dolph uh, is introduced as this crazy religious Jesus freak. Uh, he's having like a complete ceremony in a church and that's actually not in the American version, uh, which I was disappointed what? to see. Yeah. Oh, it, it, and it's so much fun. I think what they did a lot was just take anything they felt they could get rid of to make it an hour and a half. And that Dolph ceremony scene I mean, it sets the tone and I think it's necessary, but I could see an editor going like, we could cut that, you know? So it, there's a lot oh, of that man, stuff. That, 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 that's so good of, of, yeah. of Dolph and his like big Jesus hair. Oh yeah. And yeah. he, 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 uh, w- when he's doing that sermon and he's like, the Lord came to me and I was healed and made 
post-human. He's oh, talking man. about the I missed out on that. Oh, yeah, I got it. <laughs> yeah. I got it. Check this out. He's, we'll he's send like it to delivering... You. He's delivering sermons about like stricken by the sickness that devours the silver pathways of the soul. Yeah, oh, the, the close-up <laughs> shots of his dagger that's literally a crucifix of oh, Jesus. Oh, they do have they do have that. Yeah, they have yeah, what his introduction they have him like uh, when he's talking to I forget who he's talking to. He's talking to I think He's one, talking to Katana, right? I think he might be talking Yeah. Or, but he like yeah, he has like a little like vidi screen thing in his bible. Oh, right. In his like, Bible, that's so sick. Yeah, it's like so cool. Yeah, and then he has the crucifix that just has a giant like combat knife at the end. That's, yeah, that's does, his does the does the does the theatrical have the the scene where he uh, goes up to the one dude and freezes his hand? It does. Have yeah, that. it does. Smashes have that, it to yeah. pieces. Okay, that's I will good. say that's good. I was so shocked at the differences in the cut. Is mostly character stuff, and and uh, there oh, okay. is some the, some missing uh, gore in the American version, but for the most part, they they stayed with the violence. Like there is still the shot of him like lifting his broken smashed hand up and it's you know bloody and red and and the bone sticking out and everything yeah yeah, yeah that's goes, still oh there. man why'd you go and do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah like all that stuff is there the decapitations with the red wire is still there um it's it's mostly katano and and Dolph. okay because 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 that dude getting uh getting sliced into pieces and the pieces like sliding off and stuff like that that part's sick with the uh with the laser you know what i'm talking about maybe that yeah, I think I do, but I, I don't, I'm, I'm trying to remember if that sure. one's in the other version. That one, okay. Might not be if, in the if, if that if that doesn't sound sound familiar, because that's definitely that might the be goriest one. thing that happens in the Japanese cut. It's the that guy who has the laser like strangling wire. He uh, hits. Uh, I can't remember which which guy he actually hits, but he does hit. He kills a guy with it, and you actually see him cut into three different pieces, and you see the chunks of flesh like slide off. Okay. His body and everything. Okay. I, I, I don't remember that in the American. I could be wrong, but that might be an added one. They also do a lot of more like like where, where there's a wound on somebody, they'll do a two-second shot of it rather than cut away. Like they'll actually linger oh, right, on the right. body a little yeah, just, bit more. Yeah, just subtle stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's mostly what the differences are. Oh. But but what's what's interesting is how much of like the overall stuff you know despite that so there there is a good a, a slightly better cut of the movie that's out there but I, I I have to imagine that even the theatrical cut of this film there's lots of stuff that you know yeah. that the broad stuff still works oh yeah you know other than it sounds like they harmed the Katano character a lot of this I imagine is still functionally the same it really yeah. does seem yeah. like they wanted to get rid of the the Japanese dialogue because a lot of the the scenes they cut had Japanese dialogue in it. And there's none, I don't think, in the American there's, version. There's one scene when they introduce oh, okay. Katana. I think I think they literally cut every scene with Japanese dialogue that isn't like... like Because the first one, the only scene with Japanese dialogue is the one where they introduce Katano and he's talking to, um, I think, Shinji is the name of the... Right. The oh, and then, and then he asks assassin. the guy to speak English. Yeah. Well, oh, they don't. They right, also. Yeah. Uh, they also. The the. Pla- I watched it on Pluto TV because I didn't feel like like getting a free trial of something, and they <laughs> did not have subtitles for the Japanese dialogue, which I don't know <laughs> was was if that was part of the platform or if they didn't have subtitles in the actual cut or what. But I do remember there was that one scene with the with the Japanese in it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because okay, now, that, well, now but, that I remember, because you, you just said it, Josh, where he tells him to start speaking English. That's the one scene. Yeah, they so kept. the guy starts speaking English. Yeah. <laughs> That's why they kept it. Yeah. <laughs> That's very funny. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah, but but I, I will say, like, I think the, you know, we, we haven't really gotten into, you know, some of the. Um, Plotting. Uh, 
yeah, some of the, the the plotting, which maybe we should for anyone who sounds really confused about what the <laughs> fuck we're talking. About. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but you know, we, we we mentioned some. We mentioned that you know Keanu is you know considered a sort of mnemonic courier who is a, a doom uh, a human data carrier, and it's the Internet twenty twenty one. We have arrived we're here, baby. We've made it. That's right. Um, and you know, uh, essentially, the overall idea of what the world currently looks like is that it, you know, it's as they say in the opening crawl, it's like the new century uh, age of terminal capitalism. They call it the armored towers of multinational corporations rise above the ruins of democracies that gave birth to them. You can tell that this was uh, written by a uh, cyberpunk novelist. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's so um, cool. <laughs> yeah, soldiers of the Yakuza defend them. Hackers, data pirates, low-tech media rebels are the enemy, burrowing like rats in the walls of cyberspace. <laughs> and the last touch here is that there is a new plague that convulses the city. Nerve attenuation syndrome it's incurable fatal epidemic bringing fear and misery as old as the species itself and that's a that's a touch i think too that's very writerly but i like it this idea that you know that we're in like this futuristic setting but the thing that's harming everyone is a plague yeah um, yeah essentially like that's, that's, that's all the technology couldn't and, help us <laughs> yeah and and man i love the freak out session that uh, Henry Rollins, the oh, lead singer yeah. <laughs> of, of, of Black Flag, shows up in the movie as a cast member, which is just super sick, just in general. Yeah, but he get he gets the, like one of the best uh, moments where he's like screaming about like uh, information overload, <laughs> where he's like that's that's what's causing this uh, this NAS this this the Black Shakes I think they call it at one point this sort of you know this sort of disease is being caused by the actual technology surrounding people and poisoning them. And he's like, all the electronics around you are poisoning the airwaves. It's technological fucking civilization, but we still have all this shit because we can't live without it. (laughs) And just Henry Rollins delivering that. It's sick. It's It's so, yeah. And his character's name is spider too. Like, come on. So awesome. (laughs) And I like that. Like the cyber tech can become, somewhat of an addiction for people i think that's dolph's one of dolph's uh, main not motivators really but just the the reason he is so crazy was because he became addicted to getting these like biotech enhancements done to him and now right he, that's right. why he's like trying to you know scam people through his religion and beating people up and stealing from people and all that kind of stuff that's why he's a, a total psychopath and i think also johnny's um eventual partner uh the girl she also has some somewhat of an addiction at one point uh her i don't know ex-manager of some kind or something uh you know twists over her arm and we see a bunch of like injection holes but they look more like oh, cyber tech are, 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 you're, holes. are you talking about the con- confrontation with udo kier yes who shows up yes i was like what the hell yeah Udo's for in real yeah <laughs> i love when udo shows up in just any movie me too but, uh, but yeah, um, I like the way that they use the cyber tech as like this, uh, this almost like a drug or something. Now, uh, Jamie, did you, did you catch that that was, uh, uh, Dina, Dina Meyer is, uh, the character there? It's such no. an insanely is, uh, stacked cast. It's, it's nuts. Yeah. So she, she plays, uh, Jane and she is in all of the, the, the first, like what, like three or four Saw movies. Oh mm-hmm. Yeah. I knew she looked familiar. Oh, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, so it was it was 
she 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 comes in here as kind of like one of these sort of like low techs who isn't really as committed to like the the you know ice tea playing a dude named J Bone yeah. <laughs> is the leader of of, of, of the low techs who are you know the the group who is you know uh, fighting off the corporate control by like you know becoming you know sort of like this quasi kind of like cyberpunk Amish community of people who don't actually use computers or anything like that and so she used to be part of that group but sort of like Keanu she believes in sort of like you know this this individual being able to climb the capitalist ladder where she could get a job and she could you know she could change her own personal lifestyle so she goes to Udo Kier looking for work to be one of the bodyguards to be a cybernetic you know bodyguard for him because I think that that's a cool touch that Udo Kier just has like women cyborgs yeah just like (laughs) the 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 strongest people in the given society right now yeah and uh yeah she he finds out that you know her parts are kind of trash and she's kind of suffering from you know the 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 black shakes as as they they put it which you know it's kind of depicted as you know it's 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 as functionally it's like this sort of poisonous disease that infects people but they kind of depict it kind of like a like almost like a drug addiction on the surface right um, yeah. that it, it, you know, really hurts people's bodies and, you know, it, it makes them convulse and until they essentially die. So uh, in, in terms of writing, it's a fairly well thought through like concept. Definitely. Yeah. Um, overall, I think, I think Gibson is a, you know, a, you know, I don't know, a hot take William Gibson, probably a good writer. <laughs> I, 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 I can't, I can't say cause I haven't read much, uh, much of his stuff. I've only read one short story and, uh, uh, also seen uh, Abel Ferreira's New Rose Hotel. Did you guys know Abel Ferreira made a film, a William Gibson film? I did I know that because I looked it up. I looked up whether William Gibson had written any other movies. Um, yeah. I saw that he wrote that one. Yeah, New, New Rose Hotel is super sick. It, it's not futuristic at all because Abel Ferreira didn't give a shit about doing any kind of like sci-fi world building. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask. Um, <laughs> but but essentially Christopher Walken and Willem Dafoe, you know, and... Um, Fuck! Is it Asia Argento? I think is is her. I'm, I'm trying to remember if that's if that's who it is. Um, they kind of do this idea about kind of like corporate raiders and hitmen, and you know, trying to do sort of like uh, very futuristic uh, corporate es- espionage and stuff like that. But it's all done in like kind of like the opening scene you see here, where it's like Keanu in like a hotel. So mm. Abel Ferreira depicts it all as like mundane corporate modern spaces and stuff like that. One, so probably he didn't have to get a crazy budget for production design. Yeah. But two, it also makes, you know, kind of like the, the future kind of just seem boring and, and, and kind of sad in a way. And it ends up becoming like this kind of like psychological and existential crisis of the characters wandering this, this world where all of their relationships with everyone else are just kind of like transactional and Mm -hmm. the sparse production design ends up kind of like capturing, uh, that, but you also get stuff like, Willem Dafoe looking at hazy video images and bank account numbers and, you know, sexy stripper (laughs) clubs. And it's a very minimalist lo-fi vision of it, but it's still cyberpunk and it's really cool. So yeah, William Gibson, based on, from what I can tell, a very interesting idea, heavy kind of writer. And I think that it is uh, the stuff that's, that we see here, you know, even when it's translated into kind of like this more goofy genre chase picture, you know, it's, it's still done, you know, 
fairly fairly well here. There there is you know there is yeah. stuff on this movie's mind versus Universal Soldier, which we were talking about, is very lean and kind of unpretentious in that way. Yeah. it's very like uh, they don't really the, the the ideas were kind of like secondary. Whereas you can tell that Gibson, you know, he 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 cares about you know some of the story elements in here. And I read up how he kind of feels about this movie. He actually feels more strongly about this movie than I think people realize i think he had a good time making the film and uh he said that you know ultimately you know some of the seriousness was you know undone by some of their budgetary constraints but the way that he saw it was that it was still this very effective fable of the information age about a guy learning to become human yeah Yeah. he described it i think i i think it is i mean i think he did i think that this movie's reputation is just so it's not it's not justified i mean this is it's overblown for he, sure. Yeah, yeah. He, I mean, William Gibson, William Gibson, I think too, is the guy is the reason that this movie is like as good as it is. I mean, I don't think, I think that, that this is a movie that is very clearly written by him. I don't think if you watch this movie and you were familiar with him, I think you'd know it was written by him. Like, you know, it has, has his voice so clearly shines through. Um, and it's just, I think he—you can really tell that he 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 cared about it to to some degree while making it. That it wasn't just a, you know, somebody asked him to make a movie and he was like, I guess. Like you can, yeah. you can tell he really put his all because there's every just every scene. There's some bizarre idea just like like, <laughs> it's just you know poking its head in in some way. Like I, one one thing that it just like made me so happy that I love is there's a scene where where Jane um like. Uh, like empties her purse and in her purse she has a hand grenade that's like a pink plastic hand <laughs> grenade that's on like her keychain right. <laughs> and it, like next to like a troll doll it's like so like that's just it's incredible like just to throw that in like just out of nowhere is just so nice there's so much so much like just detail like it's very yeah. it's very writerly i guess i don't know <laughs> i don't know how to I don't know what the word yeah, is. Well, and and, I mean, and honestly, I don't think that Longo does a pretty like I think Longo does a fine job too of realizing some of this. I like that scene when they you know because it starts off again in all of kind of like these corporate hotels and things like that, and and he goes up uh, Keanu to get this data transfer where he's not being told what the information is, but you know he's got to store this you know this gigabytes of information, which we later find out is actually the cure for this uh this nas uh you know sort of um you know epidemic that is affecting the entire world and uh but he doesn't know that when when he goes in to this meeting to do that and the the actual image of like the retro computer tech like the disk drive calculator and them spinning it and him putting the goggles on and going in like the they do the jaws shot of the 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 dolly zoom when he gets plugged into the internet he's like whoa yeah Yeah. and and there's like there's like projection of like humphrey bogart on the screen in the background like behind him because he's doing obviously kind of like this noir thing as well and the images and then the download codes for the data are kind of like these memory images that they do as screenshots and they print them out like polaroids and shit it reminded me of uh david cronenberg's uh, existence where he mm. tries to do this very physical rendering of what future like video games would look like mm-hmm. he's like yeah you're gonna plug the controller port into a hole in your spine <laughs> your <back laughs> like, obviously it's not what happened but like it's still cool <laughs> yeah. yeah what do yeah, you think of uh gibson like like you know he said that he watched the film and for the most part i think it seems he liked it but there were a few things obviously that couldn't didn't quite work on screen what did he think he was doing though with the like heroin addicted dolphin 
Like, did he think that that was going to not be silly? I have no idea. Ever. I don't oh, know what I you're talking it. about. No, I, hey, yeah. don't I, get me wrong. I think it's sick as hell. I just, I, you know, no one is going to, I'm not going to be able to tell anybody that in a, in this movie, eventually there's a heroin addicted dolphin that's like helping the, I, I can't remember exactly what it's doing, but but if I say that, you're just going to be like, that's a fucking silly movie. Yeah. Whatever's I mean, going yeah, my, on. You know? Yeah. My, my counterpoint to that is that I think what makes this this movie so, like, I think successful to me is, like, people, I think cyberpunk, you know, it's so self-serious, but, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's punk. You know, it's the same thing with normal punk. Yeah. is like, yeah, like, you're you're trying to change the world. You're also a bunch of sweaty guys, like, wearing leather. Like, you, you know, <laughs> there's an inherent, like, kind of silliness to it that I think it, you have to, like, it, it's like the silliness kind of makes it feel more more real especially yeah in the way that this is you know it's not too interested in in, in like uh, being a satire of the future as much as something mm-hmm. like you know starship troopers is but it still has that element right. there and i feel like that's where the you know the telekinetic dolphin comes in is like you know <laughs> you know yeah there's these huge corporations that are crushing everyone it's very real it's very fucked up but like you know the future is also just going to be weird as hell like stuff that we you know yeah. what i mean yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. Yeah, no I, know, no, I know what you mean. And also it's worth noting that, you know, part of it, I think, too, is that it is a, uh, you know, maybe it's not, you know, in, entirely satirical. But I think part of it, too, is that, like, the story behind the dolphin is that, like, the Navy chose to train him yeah. and shit like that. <laughs> like, it, like, it's very clearly a decision by the leaders and the corporate powers right. was to create a telekinetic dolphin <laughs> to help them control the world in various parts and do hijacking missions and, you know, yeah. other things that they wanted it to do. So... It, it, I think that there's a lot of details through it. I think that that one is intentionally treated as a reveal because it's pretty crazy. Pretty wild, yeah. But like there there are like at, as Cameron mentioned there are other things that that occur in here. You know, like I I think about that's when Keanu like o- ODs on on the data and has to like meditate in order to yeah. <laughs> yeah. from leaking blood out of his nose and shit like that. <laughs> Um, and, and then all the, the, uh, people who come in who are trying to like steal the data from him come in in like black leather dusters and machine guns. Like, they're yeah. like a Western, I, I wrote like down, yeah, Western. they're like blade cosplayers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And there's, and there's a lot of like, just kind of like really crazy shit. I love when he checks in at like whatever, like the airport he's going to or whatever. And the, the government medical machine is like, you have cerebral leakage. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he says, Thank please you. get that checked out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, I just think that, you know, like, you know, as, as we continue through it, I think the ridiculousness of this premise is kind of like inherent and some of the goofiness is, you know, done stylistically in the way that, you know, they, you know, there's just no way of rendering it without some of it coming off like very genre-y in a way. Yeah. But I think ultimately it, you know, it's, 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 it's goofy and kind of like in an endearing way and it's serious, you know, when it needs to be serious and it's, you know, sillier when, you know, it, 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 it doesn't need to be, it doesn't want to be, I think like super glum about this material either. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely um, is a movie that's trying to have a good time as well as have all of these kind of, um, 
I mean, you don't put iced tea in that costume if you're not trying to have a good time on some level, <laughs> yeah, right? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah straight up. I mean, we, we haven't we haven't talked much about iced tea, but iced tea in like the the like war paint and dreads and just like dressed like uh like Lawrence Fishburne's character in John Wick, like the king of the hobos. Yeah. That's what he's kind of like dressed liked. Uh, and he's the leader of the anti-establishment low techs named J Bone, and he <laughs> runs heaven. Yep. Which is just this crazy, like, uh, shipping container that's, like, hanging off of a crane near a bridge? Like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love the, the shots of, like, when they initially go up in, in, in the riser, and then it just shows, like, it's a long shot of just the camera kind of panning, panning over the entire area, and it shows all the, like, metal bridges that they've made so that they can get to each part of their platform and... And yeah, it's a really cool set. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I think they did a really good job on the, I mean, it's, it's very clear to me this was directed by a production designer. Yeah. Because if there's nothing yeah. else to say about this yeah. film, like, like the, the sets and the clubs and the makeup and everything. It's a like, convincing it, it world. It looks solid. Yeah. Yeah. There's one, there's one scene where they're in, um, the mall. I forget why they're in the mall, but like what the mall, it's like a mall, but there's no stores. There's just a bunch of like mannequins that are like masking taped into like pillars <laughs> oh, right. and just people just walking yeah. around. And there's just like every once in a while, there's just breaking glass noises in the background. And it's, yeah, it's such a perfect like crossroads of like, what the fuck am I looking at? And also like, Oh, okay. This is kind of like painting the world for me a little bit, even though it's just like makes right. no sense at all. <laughs> But yeah, I would, I would say that there's, you know, there's like some solid, um, you know, like a lot of it plays as kind of like a, you know, closer to kind of like a, like a conspiracy thriller a little bit like that. Like there's not a lot of really like crazy set pieces beyond like the really big, like climactic, uh, set piece, even though when the set pieces do hit, like when they try to chop off Keanu's head, like beneath the club and Udo Kier like betrays him and everything like that. And Jane breaks in and saves him and they're, you know, they're uh, beating the shit out of them. And like the, the machine gun fire is like these like automatic hand cannons. (laughs) Like it's really crazy. Yeah. Uh, I like the, uh, when they, when the Yakuza attacks the, the heaven thing, like the, the bridge area that the, the low tech stay at, uh, there's this one girl who I don't think she shows up, in any part of the movie, but uh, other part of the movie, but she has a giant bazooka and she's just yelling like motherfuckers and like yeah, going crazy yeah. as she's <laughs> trying to kill everybody. And I just found it funny that, that she had like a moment like that when she really wasn't anybody, just some guard with a bazooka. And then she gets an arrow through her head, which is pretty wild too. Um, but yeah, I, I found it funny that they paid that much attention to some lowly guard with a, giant bazooka (laughs) i love yeah yeah, i love all the weapons in this movie so many just weird weapons that they use like there's the obvious there's like the lightsaber whip that the like oh yeah yakuza leader uses there's you know the low-tech guys use like like knife throwers and stuff and Mm -hmm. like there's um i think uh jane has like this like thing that's like a nightstick like it's like this extendable baton thing but it has like a, a blade at the end of it um right. what there's like uh, yeah like uh Dolph has like a shepherd's crook and the crucifix knife like there's so many so many just <laughs> weird 
like yeah just weird weapons i don't know i just noticed that when i was watching it i really the, like the way they use the the laser wire in the sequence where um it's the big attack sequence at the end where just everybody is just trying to infiltrate uh the, the, the low-tech uh area and uh keanu is dangling with the other yakuza leader not not uh, katano but the the guard leader and he yeah, Shinji gets a hold yeah. of his um, laser wire and wraps it around his head, causing him to be decapitated. And then you get yeah. a full shot of the guy's body and head just pumbling to the ground into the water. Uh, and I thought that was really, really good, really effective. Yeah. Yeah, I, I love that, too. Um, the whole climax is honestly pretty sweet. It is a, really awesome. On an action yeah. They have yeah, they they they, they kind of save it because a lot of it is establishing the various forces who are trying to get to Keanu to take his head off yeah. for the information that's inside, which again is later revealed to be the uh, the the cure for this. Which in the Japanese cut, it's kind of made clear that uh, Kitano didn't know that that's what the information was, and that the AI is actually Keanu's mother, who is the co-founder of the company, <laughs> right. I don't think who, they mention that, that it's his mother in the American Cup, but they say it. They they do mention that he doesn't know what. Like it's implied that he didn't know that it was the cure before. Um, mm-hmm. And then the AI right, says something yeah. about like starting the company, but never. I don't think it ever says that it's his mother. I could have just thing missed too. that. Like okay. even in the Japanese cut, they even have a little bit more backstory on the AI, <laughs> which is interesting yeah. too. <laughs> so. Yeah, they 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 tried to throw some more stuff in there, I guess. Yeah. Um, it, it really contextualizes everything, though. So that added seven minutes makes the narrative better, at least. All the fun yeah, well, stuff and, is and still I, in the American version, like the just the action stuff for the most part. But like it really helps flesh out the characters with the extra seven minutes. Yeah, well, and, and I, I did just really like the idea that all of this technology surrounding everyone is kind of like poisoning um, yeah. everyone. And it became about, you know, you know, it, it you don't this doesn't get they the way that they describe it is that the company this pharmacon pharmacom company they they say that it comes from the people getting like uh cyborg amp jobs like they blame it on the individuals for doing drugs is kind of like the idea mm-hmm. they were like that's what causes it it's nothing that we do that causes it and so it, it, it it's interesting that you know like uh eventually Keanu finds out that this world that he's a part of and he sees the on-the-ground suffering visualized through all of these characters who who have this stuff, and he realizes that you know that whole time that he's kind of been a part of it. And I love that his immediate reaction isn't like a complete moral breakdown. He's like, "Oh God damn it! I have to give up all of my comforts." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that. That's the thing that's like really upsetting to him is that you know his comforts come at the expense of you know this really on-the-ground suffering that he is now you know seeing in all of these you know very well designed again sort of like sets with the retro digital tech in them and everything but it's also like a lot of rusty metal and like dirty wet streets and like junkyards and dumpsters yeah, and run down buildings I really, everywhere i really like keanu doing this his like big i want room service and i want all the luxuries speech how he's doing it on top of a junkyard pile and then yeah. in the background you can see the the city that he's referencing uh just the, like the skyline so it's a really good image to express just like where he is and where he wishes he was <laughs> yeah so i i really like that idea visually of like you know he's been brought down to this you know this the literally this this place where you know the the other you know people that he is a part of treat them like garbage like literal garbage 
And then there's the version of, you know, sort of like the futuristic city that's represented in, in Beijing, even though, again, all of this is shot in like Toronto and Montreal, I'm pretty sure. They just repurpose it as Beijing and Newark, <laughs> which is really funny. So they had to have done a lot of set work to make that possible. Yeah. But um, then you also have the actual like Internet, which is physically tangibly rendered as like this this sort of like matrix visualization of it yeah prior but before the matrix have you ever seen the, uh, the show reboot has anyone ever seen that <laughs> yeah it reminds no. me of that yes. <laughs> yeah i know what you're talking about well it, it, it what it played to me as was that you know obviously in the 90s there was like a really crummy idea of what vr looked like but imagine that but like done as like the 2001 like stargate sequence of like crazy colors and yeah. advertisements yeah, and yeah, things yeah, like yeah. like 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 i imagined that scene where he's flying by all of the colors but now he's flying by you know sort of like corporate ads and things yeah, like that I, he's navigating. I literally wrote that down too the 2001 thing it totally feels like that yeah <laughs> It's the like crazy yeah, so light it, it, tunnel uh, stuff. Yeah, I was I was surprised because when I watched it, you know, people said that it, you know, they they thought that it like, you know, I don't know if it's just like Keanu doing like the VR hand gestures or something when he's like, I gotta I gotta hack into here and I gotta type in this code here and like I'm not sure if that's the part that kind of throws people through a bit of a loop, but I thought the actual internet stuff was not anywhere near as bad as what I had read. Yeah. Yeah. No, not even. Close. I, I think it's some of the best stuff in the movie. I mean, uh, to like the I, I don't think I it's, love the final bit when he's yeah. working with the dolphin in the internet. Yeah, yeah. And the, and the actual like and the dolphin's like exploding information out of its head. The Johnny <laughs> figure too, like the CGI balloon man of Johnny Mnemonic is yes. hilarious. I I really got a kick out of that. And also, I realized in the um, I think in the Japanese cut there is more of it actually uh slightly more cgi digital craziness um which is interesting yeah I, I, and i'm really surprised that that's what people get hung up on because like yeah you know maybe some of the aesthetics of what the 2021 internet didn't work out but like the rest of the story the business practices the private healthcare conflict of interest yeah. Shit, yeah. uh is 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 definitely yeah. all still accurate and predictable it's, i was just it's also like again, like why would you want to see what the internet actually looks like? Well, like it, you're, I don't, un- <laughs> I just like, I truly am yeah. not able to comprehend the complaint that like, oh, it's too crazy and over the top and weird. Like what? Yeah, what like, do you want to watch? I don't get it. Watch a different movie. That's this. Don't watch yeah. cyberpunk. <laughs> like go watch somebody Google something. Then yeah, exactly. Yeah, I want, I want you know somebody taking on the virtual reality headset. He's He's, he's literally shifting through files by moving his hands and he's like expanding things. At one point he's going into a certain like room where there's a virus and you physically see the virus take over who he's talking to. Like it, <laughs> yeah. like the, the, they, they try to infect him with a virus. Yeah, like he, and he I, starts I, to I, and I love that he, Great. Well, yeah, and because and he, he's he's literally, like, interrogating someone that he knows only via the computer. Right. And the guy's represented by, like, this giant face, like, hey, Johnny, what's up, man? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, oh, no, they've sent a virus after us. It's, like, literally that scene where, like, uh, you know, in, in a thriller, like, one character is interrogating another one in the room, and then the bad guys show up and break in and, like, kill the guy before he can get the answers out of him. It's right. literally that scene, but rendered in, like, this really crazy <laughs> expressionist CG world. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild man yeah and 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 then that's all before the big uh crazy final set piece which we we've talked about you know uh, a a little bit it happens right after keanu's big freak out about how he wants club sandwiches and cold mexican beer 
and uh, hookers. <laughs> um, but they, they literally suspended a 40-ton shipping container from a 60-ton crane is what I read. Wow. Um, and so oh. it was literally 40 or 50 feet uh, in the air, and they had a set piece on top of it. And they, they said that, like, Robert Longo was saying that he was genuinely, like, terrified that he was going to, like, hurt someone in the making of the film. And he was, like, th- there was one guy who had a scare who was, like, a PA or something. He said that they were oh pretty God. safe, but he was that he was very concerned about the whole thing because he never really made a movie before. And they let him build something, like, <laughs> that big. And, again, surrounded by, like, a bridge and containers and boats and yeah. this massive, like, nighttime junkyard. And then on the inside of that, you know, you have, like, a, a, a war with with guns and uh who is it who shoots an uh, is is it ice tea who shoots an arrow into a woman's mouth i think that's in the japanese yeah in the japanese i'm not sure if that's only in the japanese cut or not so i can't say that does happen in the american Uh, as well i think yeah and i I think it's nice okay nice but there's a there's a a literal ground war happening outside while inside they have again the cyborg dolphin used by the navy to decrypt data in in his head where he's going to get the dolphin's going to get the information out of his head and then they're going to broadcast it using the lotex you know yeah. to get everyone the cure essentially um, and it is a really crazy reveal when Ice T in his outfit that he's in, he's like, "Yeah, check out this fucking dolphin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a mammal. Yeah, the Navy got it addicted to heroin, and I got to give it some heroin to, uh, you know, make sure that he's not getting too scared or crazy or nothing. And he's gonna do a big infrared scan using and broadcast using the antennas. And, and I love the when... actual effects work to accomplish all of this is pretty good. Oh yeah, and I also love when like he gets the when they finally get everything together and they're about to show everybody and expose the corporation. And he's just like, we're coming at you low tech style. (laughs) (laughs) So good. I love it. Dude. Well, and I, I I love when they hook him up to the dolphin and it straight up looks like out of Tetsuo. I was literally going to say that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. That, that, that whole, that room that, that, that Jones, the dolphin is in too, is just like, uh, I think the dolphin's name is Jones, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like that pillar of like flickering TV screens in the middle of the room. Like (laughs) it's just like, I think it's so cool looking. Yeah. And that giant just rig that comes down from the ceiling that they, they strap Keanu's head into. It's, it's just so, yeah, it's so visually just like exciting. Yeah. There's so much tech detail. Like when you look in the background, there's just, there's hundreds of televisions and wires going everywhere and yeah. like a very detailed sets, incredibly detailed. Love yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and I love seeing everyone just in a single room, like the Yakuza's after him, <laughs> yeah. Tano's after him. Uh, Dolph shows up and he's like, Jesus is waiting. <laughs> <laughs> His death is pretty just brutal beating, too. Just literally beating the shit out of Keanu in front of the cyborg dolphin. (laughs) And he's talking about the holiest of communions. If I have this, I'll be God. Um, And then they have. Well, yeah, because because the dolphin kills him, right? Yeah. With like the the, the sonic pressure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I think on on his cybernetic body upgrades and he just catches fire and burns to a crisp. Yeah. Yeah. Is it? I thought for I'm remembering it as. It's like it's the dolphin's uh, psychic waves, but the girl is the one that points the satellite at Dolph. Am I correct in saying right, that? Right, right. I think that's right. Yeah, I think that's and right. Dolph's death is pretty. Like he gets radiated and he's melting. Basically, oh, he gets yeah. charred. Yeah, it's yeah. wild, <laughs> man. And then and then they have the shot of his bo- his charred body just hitting the ground and like some of the pieces kind of fall off and stuff. It's good. Yeah. yeah. 
This sequence also has, I think, one of like the best lines of dialogue I've ever heard in a movie, which is, you're going to have to hack your own brain. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's sick. Yeah. So, yeah, it's so good. So cool. Yeah, and, and, and that's literally what's happening in the scene is you just have, uh, you know, like Ice-T fending off the Yakuza who have, you know, like like laser wires and machine hand cannons. And then you have Takeshi Kitano showing up and having a big change of heart, which it sounds like it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in the American cut. But in the Japanese cut, it actually makes perfect sense. Yeah. So it's it, there's an even better version of that uh, dramatic beat taking place that might even make the movie work even more for you if you haven't seen the Japanese cut of it. Um, and it's it's actually like a yeah, it's, it's a I was surprised when I heard that because like that's the big emotional yeah. core. I was shocked when is, I saw that. Yeah, is 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 him coming to the realization that, you know, his daughter is now this, uh, you know, it's not this flesh human person. It's now just this image hologram in his computer. And he wishes nothing more than to have, you know, the human version of it back. And he realizes that, you know, the the, the entire that's, uh, you know, on a larger, broader metaphorical level, that's what his company has done to the world is it's made them all reliant on these things that are going to kill them and turn them into images and computers and stuff. So the, his, his change of heart makes perfect dramatic sense in that moment where he's like, I don't want that to happen anymore. And they get the information out and they, you know, they, they, they broadcast it out and everything like that. Yeah. They have a, they broadcast it. It's like a, they have a scene when they're broadcasting it. Like there's a bunch of people in like a city square gathered around this stack of TVs that's shaped like a cross. That's like flashing the, yeah. the cure yeah. on screen. Very, yeah. Very cool. Like just set set. That's just there for like, like a few seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and I, and I like that last shot too of them standing in like the junkyard area, looking over at the city as the corporation just like burns. Yeah, down that's so yeah. funny. It just catches on fire when they broadcast the cure. I don't know. Which they, is yeah, I don't know what the fuck happened yeah. there, but that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What's interesting too is the uh, in the American cut, they they do the same thing where the the building is on fire and they fade away. But in the American cut, they have uh, Johnny and the girl in like kind of looking at each other and it in the background uh and then they look onward whereas in the japanese cut it's actually just an image of the building on fire as opposed to like those two characters looking at it so it seems Uh. like in the japanese version they wanted to focus less on like this possible developed relationship that johnny has with this girl and more on just like the corporation has been taken over and we've yeah solved the plague and all that i think that I like that better. I think that the relationship does kind of feel shoehorned in. It definitely yeah, does feel like I a, agree. yeah, this, uh, but this also ends with, I think the, one of the best <laughs> fake out endings. Um, oh yeah. My one at like where they, Just they have a close up. Yeah. They have a close up of, of Dolph, the cyborgs like body on the ground. And it starts to like kind of move and like move forward a little bit. Right. And you're like, Oh shit. And then, it's and like then, the Universal Soldier thing. You think he's coming back. Yeah, exactly. And then Ice TC has his, that's just garbage. Get it out of here. And you see that he was just actually in like a crane and he gets thrown <laughs> yeah. down off, the, off of heaven. Yeah. And they show the, yeah, the body really just cool. like fly from the platform yeah. and crash into the water. The whole shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Well, I think that's pretty uh, much it. That. Yeah. That, that is how Johnny Mnemonic ends. So it may be entering uh, reductive rating round on uh johnny mnemonic uh this gets this also gets honestly like a like a solid four for me i'm I'm surprised that 
Um, you know, maybe I guess because my first run with it too was what sounds like the the cut that emphasized some of this stuff a little bit better too. But mm-hmm. um, I I honestly, you know, despite the fact that there's some goofy elements in it, again, kind of as we mentioned at the top, I thought that the ambition completely out- outweighed that. And I, I always like anyone who's going to attempt to do uh, cyberpunk noir kind of stuff. That's just cool idea in general. And to do it here in this kind of like you know, very well production designed kind of like uh, chase movie kind of idea where once again, you know, you 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 are Keanu Reeves and your head is going to get chopped off by either Takeshi Kitano's Yakuza goons or a psycho cyborg preacher Dolph Lundgren <laughs> because you have 300 gigabytes of data in your head um, that is going to tell the world how capitalism is literally poisoning their, you know, their bodies and he has, I loved that detail too. I don't remember if we got to the scene where he says it, but that, that he has deleted childhood memories in order to store it in his skull. Yeah. <laughs> That's such like a, like a, a, a very writerly way at getting this idea that Keanu is like literally, you know, like this corporate tool. Yeah. Who, sacrificing kind himself of up. as a human. Yeah. He's literally sacrificing his own memories to store, you know, just data in his head. Um, so to watch the story of this guy who is this corporate tool, then, you know, um, you know, come back to humanity in the same way that also Takeshi Kitano's megacorp owner, who's, you know, realized his business has dehumanized the world and thus himself and, you know, realized that just in time. And that the most person who should be the most natural human man, you would think would be the religious man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, he's <laughs> the most brutal and unnatural in the film. And Dolph is, is really, uh, he gets to do just the hamminess. That's all he yeah. gets to do. He doesn't Lots even have of much fun. of a, of a character. He just gets to have a lot of fun on screen, which is, which is awesome, um, to see as well. But then, yeah, you throw in the underground network of Amish punks led by ice T <laughs> the heroin addicted Codebreaker dolphin, uh, who's going to decrypt all the data. And yeah, this whole thing just filled with strange, uh, style details. And, you know, this sort of like the, again, the pristine corporate future space versus the dilapidated, like punk grotesquery ones and all that suffering, in order to make that possible. I think this is a decently, you know, thought through, you know, uh, cyber noir kind of story. And it's, it's, it's well, uh, realized. I, I really did like the 2001 Stargate sequence meets crummy nineties VR look (laughs) for the internet, even if it's not what the internet ended up, uh, looking like shame. The nineties were a time. I'm sorry. It's just, it's what they, (laughs) you know, I, I also feel this way similarly about, uh, another movie from the nineties that I don't think people like very much. That is just absolutely insane. And that's uh, the devil's advocate. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. I got to rewatch that. I liked it a lot. The, we we watched it on a thirty five millimeter print, right. Jamie. Um, I can't remember what it played. It was the Exorcist and Devil's Advocate thirty five millimeter double feature. Such a weird <laughs> so double feature. Good. Uh, but it, it was another thing that I watched that, and I was like, okay, so people's problem with this movie is that Al Pacino is literally the devil, and Satan, er, and and Keanu Reeves is literally his 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 legal attorney. <laughs> yeah. Um, like that, that was people's issue with the film. And for me, that is absolutely a feature. And I feel the right. exact same way about this. Anything that people took issue with that I could find in all of the writing that I found is I was like that honestly, that's why I like it <laughs> fun for me. Yeah. yeah. And again, it has all that futuristic aesthetic infected by, you know, all of the, you know, modern, 
uh, sort of like political ills, and I think Gibson thought it through fairly well. So yeah, solid four for me. Yeah, I would give it. Uh, I, I would probably give the American version a three. I still think it's good. It's just really missing some of the uh, the character stuff that I think fully contextualizes uh, things that happen, especially in the last thirty minutes or so. Um, the Japanese version, I would give a four. Um, th- this is. I would say this is like. It doesn't pull off everything I think it was trying to do perfectly, but the ambition, I can't do anything but respect. Um, The amount of ideas here in in this kind of like cyberpunk uh, setting is unbelievable. I mean, you know, aside from just the the heroin addicted dolphin, (laughs) uh, we, you know, you have things like the, the weaponry that they use, like the laser sword. Uh, I like mm-hmm. the I, even though it's kind of dumb because we know about the the cloud storage. I still do like the idea of people taking on like uh, corporate data physically in their brain, and in order to do so, yeah. You have honestly, to take I just out. think that's sick. I, I'm I my brain instantly did not go to that place at all. I'm surprised that people's brains did. Yeah. Um. Th- th- that that it was like you know it was just like oh no anything that makes like the digital stuff like fleshy and tangible yes. works so much better on film. Yeah. yeah. So this idea of of you know him him being a uh, you know, a, a data courier as like a meat sack is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the thing is, is even as I was watching it, especially the first time, the cloud storage thing didn't pop into my head. It was just more of an, uh, of an afterthought. So I will say that the film is convincing. Like it's, it's a com- incredibly convincing film, uh, when it comes to, uh, making you believe that this world is, is something that could be real and tangible. So I, I, there's just, a an insane amount of creativity involved in this. And I, and I really, really appreciate what they, what they attempted to do. And and for the most part, I think they succeeded. Uh, I do wish that maybe they had more of a budget. They probably could have pulled these things off a little better, but um, even the, the charm of the CGI internet is great. So I, I, I almost wouldn't even want that to look better. I, I like balloon Keanu Reeves. <laughs> so um, <laughs> yeah, four, four out of five for the Japanese and, and three out of five for the American cut. Um, for you, Cameron. Yeah, I, I would. Ra- I only saw the American cut, but I would rate it a solid four for me. So I, I am nice. very excited to check out the Japanese cut because, yeah, I think the issues that I do have with it are, yeah, some of that. I think the ending, that ending change of heart, doesn't make too much sense in the American cut. I also think, you know, it's a uh, yeah, it just has a ton of ideas, and it maybe like it kind of. It kind of its focus is kind of just throwing out ideas for a lot of it, which is like <laughs> I love the ideas; they're awesome. But I think it could have done with maybe like another set piece in the middle or something, you know, yeah, something to yeah. break it up a little more. Because um, you know, it t- there are some stretches where you're like, okay, 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 you know. But I mean, overall, I love it. I think I think it's really unfairly reviled. I think mm-hmm. a lot of the goofiness that people complain about, I feel like is. Um, you know, it's not the like the the MST3K style of like brainless, bizarre decisions. I think it feels very thought out. It feels very feels very Starship Troopers esque. You know, it's very mm-hmm. like um, it's like it's a it's a it's a story about how crazy the future is. You know, it's not a it's <laughs> not a boring, sleek future. It's a very weird um, future that's kind of bursting with all these crazy details and. Honestly, yeah, I think that the world building in this movie, I, I don't know that I've seen another movie that does it quite like this. Like, there's so much stuff that's just, like, is, like, I get, like, clamoring for space almost. You know, there's almost too yeah. much going on. 
Yeah, because they never really moment. even focus a lot on these cool things. It's just stuff that you see in passing or, or whatever. Exactly. Yeah, it's, all, yeah. it's all just like surreal detail. Yeah, yeah. like even like <laughs> yeah. the... That just builds and the, builds and builds. The bio, <laughs> the like um, the enhancement, the cyborg enhancement stuff is like, you know, it's treated as like this big plot point thing, but it just, it doesn't really enter into the plot at all beyond just mm-hmm. being like a, a plot device. You know what I mean? Like it's very, there's just, there's, it, 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 there's at times, I mean, it's a little overcrowded, but I think that that's kind of its biggest strength in a lot of ways is how overcrowded it is with yeah. just ideas. Well, I think that that will uh, wrap it up for everything uh, this week. Uh, that was Universal Soldier from 1992 and Johnny Mnemonic from 1995. Thanks so much, uh, Cameron, for for joining us and, and talking about some some Dolph Lundgren hanging out uh, in some science fiction oh, films. Yeah. Thank you for having week. me. No problem. If you've got anything uh, to plug while you're here, oh yeah, uh, this is where we have you do that. So yeah, I do. I do a podcast called Podcast About List. It's a, a comedy podcast, pretty silly. And also, if you if you like Johnny Mnemonic, we do um, on our Patreon at the ten dollar tier. We do like uh, comedy Dungeons and Dragons. Um, we drop an episode every two weeks, and our like main campaign that we kind of you know there's other stuff peppered in, but our main one is a is a comedy cyberpunk. Um, kind of storyline which i think has a lot in common with johnny mnemonic so you know if that kind of stuff interests you i would i would recommend checking it out nice that's awesome uh well for our listeners we are going to be back in one week's time where we are going to be talking about uh we're going to be wrapping up Dolph month here we're going to be talking about uh silent trigger from 1996 dress directed by russell mulcahy which uh uh, in my opinion one of the biggest surprises of Dolph month (laughs) yeah um because I picked it film. just because it was a movie that came out in 96 and it had Dolph Lundgren and a tower and a sniper. And I was like, okay, this is some sort of pulp military thing where he's a sniper or something. And it ended up being like uh, a strangely existential <laughs> like war romance uh, about these killers who don't want to be killers anymore and just want to have sex with each other in this unfinished tower while uh, – everything around them just gets uglier and grosser and it has some of the craziest gore in any Dolph film that we're going to be talking about yeah. somehow. Um, and directed by Russell Mulcahy, who directed the high, uh, Highlander and uh, Razorback, the Australian yeah. killer boar film. He always brings a very did, larger than life uh, uh, quality to his films. So, and he does it here. Yeah, again. And, and did, and did some of the, uh, you know, uh, he did like Duran Duran and Elton John music videos in the 80s. Right. And like, so like very visually stylish film and uh, very excited to talk about that next week. And then we're going to be pairing that with the the last film in Dolph Month, Blackjack from 1998, directed by John Woo. Oh, boy. You might have heard of him. Uh, it was one of the few John Woo films that I haven't seen. And it turns out it's because it was a failed TV pilot that they turned into a film. And there was supposed to be this show uh, starring Dolph Lundgren as a (laughs) former U.S. Marshal uh, turned bodyguard who uh, is really who's also a magician. He's very good with uh, playing cards. He throws them at people and cuts their face with them. Whoa. He uses them to cut rope and get out of uh, situations that he's in. Uh, <laughs> oh he also uh, balances being uh, a new father of a child of a friend who just dropped him a child because his friend dies. Yep. And so he's he's a bodyguard who's doing John Woo level action set pieces, including 
sliding over and under dirt bikes that are exploding while he's dual wielding. Yep. He dual wields while jumping on a trampoline and a house <laughs> explodes behind him. Oh, I got to check this uh, out. That sounds incredible. Yeah. And, and it's pretty and the good. craziest part of the whole thing is that Dolph Lundgren's character, his main character trait that they were going to create seasons of arcs out of is that he has a phobia for the color white. <laughs> And it's a and it's a huge plot point. You, like he, the biggest. He, he, he has <laughs> he has awesome. to wear the cool action star sunglasses because it turns the colors. Oh my god! Uh, white into the colors of his sunglasses. Oh. So he has to wear sunglasses all the time, because, or else he'll have sensory overload and like faint due mm. to the color white. And yes, that results in the villain of the film exploiting that <laughs> by trying to fight with him in pools of milk. <laughs> It's it's and, wild. Oh, yeah. Okay, that's a must watch. Yeah. It's worth it for the action beats alone for sure. It Yeah. So, it's an absolutely anything, insane yeah. movie uh that was meant to be a television show written by the guy who wrote the Miami Vice television show, directed by John Woo, and the action set pieces are great. Yeah. Really good. So, that's going to be the bonus episode next week over on patreon.com. That's what we're going to be talking about wrapping up Dolph Month with two heavy hitters. And then in two weeks' time, we're going to be moving on from Dolph Month. We're going to go back to regular scheduled programming, and we're going to be back with um, a special guest talking about uh, Across 110th Street, which is a black exploitation film I haven't seen. Yeah. But I imagine that that is where uh, the song that Tarantino stole from Jackie Brown comes from. Yeah, probably. <laughs> And then we're going to be pairing that with a film called Donnie Brasco, yeah. which is another uh, uh, crime film Pacino. people might be familiar with, with uh, Pacino and uh, Johnny Depp and Michael Madsen, I think, are in that one. But yes, we're going to be back with a special guest doing those films shortly after. But yeah, that being said, I think that wraps it up for everything this week. Thanks so much, guys, for listening, and keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Keep it sleazy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>